What if you had to tell someone the most important thing in the world, but you knew they'd never believe you? I try. heading back into timey-wimey some shady government projects as well because it's a double of Riker's clock stoppers yeah I'm just gonna I know it's Jonathan Frakes but I'm just gonna call him <laughs> Riker from 2002 also the amazing Tony Scott's Deja Vu here with me to talk about these amazing movies is a co-host of probably what is now just an institution the film strip podcast and it is Jay hey how's it going Hey, Lindsay, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. I've been a fan of yours for a long time and uh, just uh, always pumped to talk about these two movies. No, thank you. When you sort of sort of said, hey, we should do a double, I didn't quite believe it. And it took me a while to get up the courage to go, hey, Jay, do you want to come on? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for saying yes. And then we just worked through some ideas and it ended up on this. And it was an absolute delight to watch these movies. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, as we were talking off mic, Filmstrip's going to hit its 13th birthday. Yeah, um, I I um, was thinking about it, I don't know, a week or so ago, and I said, when did we start this again? And I have to scroll back through the uh, the timeline of the podcast and go like, oh, yeah, it's 2010. Yeah, we've been around since 2010, and uh, yeah, we like to joke we've had more co-hosts than Spinal Tap's had drummers through the years. <laughs> uh, but we've had we've had some some good regulars. Ron's been with, with me for a good while now, and Brian, who I, I, one of the people I started the show with, um, is still comes on from time to time. And then Lindsay, our Lindsay, mm-hmm. has been with us for, for a few years now. And, uh, and every now and then some of the old crew will, will swing back on. But it's uh, yet... Yeah, we've been around a long time and have covered a little bit of everything we've taken a lot of breaks and all that stuff but uh we we used to be real big if you go back through the 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 archives we used to be real big into like themes or we'll do these whole series like every nightmare on the street and every you know halloween movie and all this stuff and now we just kind of pick just the whatever comes up on the on the line somebody you know gets excited about something like oh we haven't done big lebowski how is that let's talk about that or or you know uh some of the more recent things that we've done so um yeah, a lot of fun. And it's just, it, it was a podcast that started as an offshoot of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. retrospective podcast I was doing with my my co-host Brian. And uh, we thought, well, we should have a movie podcast too. And and 13 years later, we're still doing that. We finished the Buffy show years ago, but uh, <laughs> and, and only did like a season of the angel one. We're like, nah, we can't really do that one. But yeah, uh, yeah we're still, we're still doing film strip. And I, I mean, you know, we'll, <laughs> there's, there's more movies than we could ever possibly cover. So I, we'll just keep doing it. And as long as somebody's downloading it and listening to it, uh, we'll keep doing it. Maybe even when people aren't, we'll just keep doing it. Cause it's fun just to sit around and talk movies with your friends. 
It really, really is. Uh, no, especially when you, I think it was a recent episode when you guys, I think, uh, I know Lindsay was definitely on that episode because I always get confused because I think someone's saying my name. Um, in Bruges. <laughs> and, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, that was, I was a just run. Like, yeah. yeah, I was like, wait, you guys haven't done in Bruges? And wait, some of you haven't seen in Bruges, which was amazing. Yeah. I love it when people watch a movie like that for the first time. And then the realization that, oh, wait, I get to say the word cunt. And it's kind of goes oh, from, from there. It is, it was, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so we, much fun. I, it's a running joke on the show to try to find something I haven't seen. Um, <laughs> and it has been for years. And it's every now and then somebody can find one that I haven't had no connection to. And that was happened to have been one. And, uh, and I think the conversation was, it was after a recording and we were just kicking around, what do we want to do next? And Ron threw out in Bruges. I said, you know, I've actually never seen that. I just remembered the trailer to it. And they both just gawked at me over the the zoom and were like, <laughs> what? You haven't seen that? Yes. Like, I know guys. I, yeah. And so, um, I, but you know, I, I had a good time with that one. It was one of our, our fun episodes and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that winds up on the cutting room floor, I wish I could, I wish I was organized enough to have kept a, a clips reel through the years. Cause it's been some really good stuff, but, uh, you know, what goes out is pretty much the show. We, we don't, we don't edit too too tight on that show and uh, we just try to make it again as if you were sitting around the, you know the pub with, with your buddies and just talking movies and um everybody has a little different point of view and you know now nowadays the way we do it is um each one of us will sit in the in the host chair i call it or the lead chair and kind of <laughs> lead the discussion which is a lot of fun and um because for years it was just me like driving that for forever and it, i loved it but it was good it's good to have have other pilots on the ship uh, or uh, other number ones to hand it off to because <laughs> yeah i can't can't do that forever but yeah no um, i'm glad you enjoyed that episode it's a lot of fun to do no it was especially when you said especially because i know you have such a breadth of film knowledge and you said yeah i've never seen it in bruges i'm like oh my god i wonder what i can't because i can't remember the first time i saw that movie so i don't know what my reaction i probably just laughed a lot um during that movie but to have that kind of experience so fresh in your mind of oh yeah i'm watching the, oh my god this oh wow oh everyone's doing a thing and just how the script comes together it's a magical magical thing oh yeah yeah we had we had a good time talking about it. and i i really got into the whole again my, my theory is that they're all dead they're in purgatory and this oh, yeah. is what purgatory is and, yes. and um i have a lot of fun with that um and i like it when a movie can do that and and i think that's one of the been the more fun things about film strip is everyone that i've done it with through the years and, and particularly ron and, and Lindsay, the last several years mm-hmm. um we all see things from a little different point of view and because ron's very much a writer and so he's very cerebral and he, you know he thinks like that and Lindsay's an actor mm-hmm. and so she sees it through that lens and as a performer and and she's super talented and all that and then i'm you say i have a film knowledge i'm a movie guy i just mm-hmm. watch a lot of movies it's kind of my thing and so i relate everything to everything else because i'm an intuitive on the myers-briggs scale and that's just sort of how my brain i'm that that uh, charlie day meme you know where all the the yarn is on the wall yes uh, connecting everything and that's my brain's always kind of worked like that and so i watch stuff and i go oh yeah that's like that episode of dukes of hazard once or something you know just the most random thing that i'll pull out of my brain this i you know i couldn't have remembered anything useful like math or engineering or anything like that i just have this part of my brain that's devoted to pop culture and mostly movies like clock stoppers and deja vu and stuff like that so but you know i'll, I'll try to i'll try to do some of my yarn spinning tonight and connect these to all the different uh, places that they take me when i watch them 
No, my brain does a similar thing. Like I don't remember anything to do with um, math or engineering or, you know, science or anything kind of useful. It's just random facts or that moment in that one time that thing happened in that TV show. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how, oh, they do, are they pulling from this? Like, yeah, it, that's how my brain works. So it's kind of nice to know that there's another brain out there that works similar. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I quoted a line from like the most random angel episode, speaking of Buffy and Angel the other day in a thing at work and people just kind of looked at me and I realized like no one in the room had probably seen this show at all but there was one person in the corner to kind of giggling so after it was over I said did you know what that was from and she said yes I love that show and I was like at least one person in the room understands me so there's always <laughs> at least one person that gets you out there so. exactly exactly um but no I, I sit off mic this is was a just well deja vu is deja vu but uh clock stalkers as we're about to get into was just a delight it was just so I mean, we'll get into the uh, Jesse um, Bradford yeah. of it all. I was like, he had a hell of a 2002. With this he really movie. did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was he was actually going on a roll in the early 2000s. Um, so we might as well uh, get into it. The um, As I, uh, uh, Preston Mitchell, who just messaged me, says, oh my God, you're doing Clockstoppers. I'm like, yeah, we're doing we're doing the uh, Frankstopi- the Frankstopiece. Uh, that is Clockstoppers. Um, as I like to imagine, we're in a theater, the curtains are opening, and Jay, what do you choose for your first trailer for Clockstoppers? You know, I'm going all the way back to the 80s for mm. this because this movie owes so much to the 80s. And my, oh. direct, my direct correlation for this movie is is a movie that I'm not going to put in the trailers. I'll talk about it when we get into the movie mm. proper, but I want to drop a little movie called My Science Project from 1985 uh, in, into the first trailers. Harlan? Why don't you tell us about your science project? I'm working on it. To be opened by authors, personnel. What's this piece of junk? I don't know what that is. Found it out at old Dawson Field. I figured maybe I could shine it up and pass it off to my science project. I mean, it's some sort of, uh, it's some sort of power plant. I mean, this is generating power and light without heat, Michael. How is that possible? It's not possible. Now that sounds like we're dealing with a time-space I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. It, it's another one that kind of came and went. And yeah. He, yeah. But people know, we reviewed it back on Filmstrip years ago, and it was something Ron hadn't seen, and so we got a real kick out of it. But I've always had a soft spot for that movie because I grew up at the tail end of the 80s and really more in the 90s. Mm. But my older brother was in the 80s, and I got to sort of see his life and everything. And I remember watching him and his friends just geek out over some of the coolest movies and the reason my science project comes up for me is that the basic premise of these this kind of motorhead kid has got to come up with a science project for dennis hopper as his science teacher about yes. all things, right <laughs> and and he steals this alien technology and all hell breaks loose in arizona that's pretty much yeah the, the movie but it's it's the same kind of premise it's it, it came out at the same time as like back to the future or a little bit before that actually 
and like mm. weird science and all those kind of things. And I, you know, I think it got buried because weird science was such a cultural phenomenon and still is um, because it, it just didn't have the John Hughes kind of touch to it um, that it, it probably needed, but there's something about my science project. that's always just endeared itself to me and I love it. And you, I mean, I think it's like on YouTube now you just watch it and um, or at least in the States. And so I love that one. So I would put that one at the front because it's the similar things that people get, you know, teenage kids get a hold of technology that they don't quite understand, but they turn it on any Anyway, because that's what you did. <laughs> and, um, that's that's a lot of what happens in Clockstoppers too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I do get this movie confused with the one that was had Courtney Cox in it as well, and I think that one involves a time travel and a dinosaur. Or am I thinking of my yes, dinosaur? yeah, yeah? There's one of those two. Yeah, yeah. I get those two confused in my head, so I had to go. Wait, is this the Courtney Cox one or the Dennis Hopper one? And it's the Dennis Hopper one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I have a vague. I haven't seen this movie in years. I really need to go back and see it because yeah, it's the cast is kind of one of those perfect eighty-five casts. I mean, you're Fisher Stevens, John Stockwell. Um, I mean, Richard Miser shows up at that point. Um, it is, yeah, I really need to see this movie again, but uh, yeah, I had to go wait because there was that kind of thing. Maybe weird science, uh, weird science, Back to the Future really heightened it, but there was that kids and science projects of uh, that uh, are way over their head. They they are dr- kind of drowning in this technology that they don't understand. And yeah, I, right. I it was a good genre. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it's one of my favorite things to kind of get to. So that's my that's my first trailer in, in the uh, in the, uh, the the theater. That is absolutely perfect. Okay, yeah, for my because uh, I actually did watch a little bit because I haven't actually seen this movie since two thousand two, but since I did mention that Jesse Bradford did have a hell of a two thousand two, I am going swim fan. Madison Bell, dude, she is so smoking hot. You know I'm planning on hearing that little southern accent when she knows my name. I can't get this stupid thing open. Do you think you could take a look? Yeah. What's the letter? For ben the letter is for swimming. Are you good? I'm okay, yeah. But he never imagined. What are you doing here? One moment. It's okay, I want you to. Could change everything. Mom! Oh, honey, bye. Guys, it's so great to finally meet your mother. Finally, you just met me. You want to pretend like it never happened? Don't I have a girlfriend. Don't worry about me. I got somebody waiting for me in New York. You have 81 new emails. Victor, received. Hey, hey. This is my boyfriend, Ben Conan. Amy just can't stop talking about her perfect boyfriend, even when I beg her to stop. Uh, because oh, I yeah. forgot how much this movie relies on email. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, sharing pictures and that kind of the technology at the time and even in the trailer, every single time a, um, a like Sherry Appleby names come up, there's an at afterward because people who were marketing the movie thought, oh, teenagers, like, you know, that's a computer term. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I love Swim Fan. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've always referred to that as the teenage or high school version of Fatal Attraction. It is. And it plays very much the same way. And I love that because, again, as somebody who loves, like, the there was that run of the, quote, erotic thriller from mm, yeah. the 80s through the early 2000s. And it's really when it, it kind of died and all went to TV at that point. Um, but I, I love that movie for that. And it's it's great performances by people that are, that are so much better than the movie that they're in but it's it still works and yeah you're right jesse bradford at that point i knew him from uh i i think a lot of people knew him from uh 
oh god my brain just just completely locked um oh the cheerleading cheerleading movie. yes oh my yes. god bring it on sorry even i was bring it on thank like, you god. I, I cannot I believe i've forgotten that because that's that movie I've was seen on it so many times. <laughs> yeah and we reviewed it but i knew him from that yeah and so when i saw the you know uh, and you know, clock stoppers that I, I saw in swim fan. I was like, Oh yeah, I got to watch that. Actually. I think my wife and I went on a date to see that because we both liked that same genre of movie and we both, we both enjoyed it for, for what it was worth. No, Erica Christensen, who plays kind of the mm. um, Glenn Close, it does it really well because she sort of does the same. She obviously watched, I think she watched Glenn Close's performance, how she could play the really sweet, even mm. when she was being deranged. And it is, um, but from the, from the beginning, you know that I'm like, don't go. Oh, she is. Yeah, she's trouble. It's going to be a you, problem. Yeah. If you kiss her, she's going to go all in and you're not ready for this. Um, but no, I do like how kind of sexual it is for a high school erotic um, thriller. Yeah, it's 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 mm-hmm. really cool. Um, what is going to be your second trailer for Clockstoppers? My, my second one is from 2007, so a few years into the future of yeah. it. And it is the teenage neo-noir remake of Rear Window known as Disturbia with yes! Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Hi. Anything interesting out here? Uh, Mrs. Pilch. Every Thursday, she goes to the country club. Cue Mr. Pilch coming back from work. There's a maid. Oh, gnarly. Where's the coffee and donuts? You can't have a stakeout without coffee and donuts. Ooh, that's creepy. What'd you see? Red smears. What? I don't know. Only in Disturbia. Thank you for an interesting night. This is as far as you go. I'll get back to you. How many other perfect little houses hide really twisted secrets? Wait a minute. And uh, written, co-written by Christopher Landon and Carl Ellsworth. And most people will know Christopher Landon these days from like Happy Death Day and yes. Freaky and all. I mean, I love him. He's, Me too. he's incredible. And mm. but I I am a big Hitchcock mark, like a lot of people, you know, my age, especially his thrillers. So when I I only knew this movie because someone said, Oh yeah, this is this is a remake of, of Rear Window. And I was like, Carrie Ann Moss as the mom. I don't know who Shia LaBeouf is, but cool. I'm down. Sarah Romer. Mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. And I, it was another one I went and saw in the theaters and I, I just love this movie. It's um, it's actually one of Shia LaBeouf's better performances because it captures his kind of overly caffeinated energy that he has. And, yeah. Cause he's under really, house arrest in that yeah, one. He's under yeah. house arrest. And that's, that's, that's the great trope is how do you get a teenage kid to sit in their house all day as if, you know, they, they don't do that, you know, just all the time, mm. but like, Oh, we'll, we'll make him stay there. Like we hate, mm. can't go beyond his yard and you see your neighbor doing these things and that's been done to death, but I love it. I love anything where you get a group of teenagers who are on a mystery together. And I think it's because I grew up watching um, Scooby-Doo and all of that. And just, you know, reading the, hardy boys and nancy drew and all that and so i just love a good mystery and i i have, I have a good time with it and i think david morse is sort of underrated as a a villain type actor too he's really good and it's like a low smolder kind of the movie oh my god him in because i still haven't i need to see disturbia like i still haven't seen it yet because i've heard it's actually better than you think it's going to be but david morse in oh my god i'm going to be blanking all day aren't i um gina davis assassin movie long kiss good night long kiss good night 
when he's yeah. sort of saying, I love watching a woman um, in distended pain or whatever it is, and like yeah. giving childbirth. It's like he is such a good villain. <laughs> yes, he is. Long Kiss Goodnight, that's another really, I think now it's been reevaluated. It has, what yeah. we do on Twitter, and, and I'm glad because I loved it when it came out. But again, I will I will stand for Shane Black to do just about anything, um, except that one part of the movie, because I can't defend that uh, and under any circumstances. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Neither can I, yet I've seen it multiple times. Anyway, that's a story of my partner buying the 4k and getting very excited yes, yes. <laughs> i feel the same i feel the same but yeah no it's i i, I love him in that but i like disturbing i think again t- a teenage a group of teenagers going on like a little adventure together that i mean it's a darker film than clock stoppers but mm. i thought okay yeah those two would be my my if i could mash two trailers on the front of this movie that's what i would want that that is really cool. I do need to see this, and because Rear Window may or may not come up again <laughs> later in this, especially with yeah Deja Vu. Yeah, but I do need to see it because I have heard that it is actually much better than you think it's gonna be. Like I just yeah. heard the plot and went okay, um, but that was after Transform. I'd seen Transformers, so I already knew that very highly caffeinated Shia LaBeouf for my final trailer. Okay, I'm going super obvious, but how do you not play Star Trek First Contact in front of this? Movie? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. I've just received a report from Deep Space Five. Long-range sensors have picked up. Yes, I know. The Borg set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. Now, in Earth's darkest hour, he must fight them again. Captain Earth. Life signs? Population approximately 9 billion. All Borg. How? Time travel. They went back and assimilated Earth. Changed history. I must follow them back. Repair whatever damage they've done. But this time, they must travel to the past. April 4th, 2063. To save our future. You're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. They invade our space, and we fall back. They assimilate entire worlds, and we fall back. Not again. The line must be drawn here. I haven't... I don't... I'm not a big... Trekhead, but I did watch Next Generation and um, Deep, Deep Space Nine and Voyager kind of off and on. Like if it was on TV, I would happily sit down and watch it. So I kind of knew the bulk of the characters, but I was never um, like in love with it. And then I did when kind of when the pandemic was just starting to hit, um, I had something all this free time and I watched all the Star Trek movies. And I remember First Contact really standing out because it just felt, it actually has the same feeling of Clockstoppers. It just feels very delightful. <laughs> the mm-hmm. only word I can think of. Yeah, I I am I'm a funny with the Trek thing because mm. I grew up watching a little bit of remakes of the the original series, but I never was into it. I watched all the movies and saw mm. several of them in theaters coming up, and then I saw Generations in theaters. And I may be one of the only people left that will defend that movie, but I actually kind of like it for what it is. I think yeah. it's fun, and it got me to go like, oh, I should have watched the Next Generation. And so I've seen enough episodes to kind of know how that goes. But I always liked Jonathan Frakes, yes. just his presence, and I'm like, he's got those steely blue eyes and i can go beardless or bearded but i kind of prefer the bearded franks i think that's the best franks it is the best franks (laughs) and it made me go and watch the star trek movies he directed Mm -hmm. and i was like oh these are actually really good so i i enjoyed um getting to know those and so it's a perfect match for this because this is the only non-star trek thing he he had done at that point he does um yeah yeah. that surprised me he's actually really good at action and he's really good 
Um, Cause he's actually, I just actually had a look at his directing career and he's done a lot of TV, which I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's perfect. Cause you can do sort of things really quickly and you learn how to do the skill, but they've actually brought him back for a lot of the new Star Trek, like discovery and also Picard, which makes me happy because they just, he's always going to be in the family, even if he's not yeah. being Riker, um, he's still going to be kind of in the Star Trek family, which makes me very, very happy. Uh, but even though this has got, you know, Picard and uh, the Queen Borg uh, kind of getting, or is it Data and the Queen? I don't remember. Someone gets with the Queen Org. I was very surprised. It goes actually kind of dark, but there's this very much this lightness, especially when they're doing the time travel mm-hmm. kind of component to it when they're having to go back in time for when, you know, Earth is kind of deemed to be in the Federation kind of thing. And it's, um, that stuff is kind of adorable. Mm-hmm. It really is. There, there's a, it's a lost art to be able to make movies and shows that are sweet that aren't so sweet that they're annoying, you know, yes. like Steven Spielberg's entire career is this yeah. in, in a lot of ways when he's not doing like really poignant, like, you know, drama and things like that. Um, and I, I, I actually appreciate that because it's, it's a very deft touch to be able to do something that is just wholesome and fun. Um, and like Robert Zemeckis can do it and, mm-hmm. and has done it for years and, um, and Jonathan Frakes can do it. And I, I appreciate that. And that's one of the things I think that has made clock stoppers just live in my brain because i only really saw it like once growing up and then and coming up because i was grown by the time it came out and just caught pieces of it here and there but when i was thinking of time travel movies to match with deja vu i was like well there's a lot of different ways you can go but i was like mm, clock stoppers nobody talks about that movie and they really should um and it's because it has this just inherent sweetness and fun to it and when you can get a movie like that i can just i feel like i can just relax i can't tell you the last time i went into a movie and felt like okay what do I have to kind of baggage? Do I either have to pick up or set down to be able to watch and enjoy this? Right. You know, cause there's just so much going on these days and we're trying to satisfy so many different you know, bullet points. Oh yeah. And the, this movie doesn't. What if you had the power? Hey, Francesca. No way. To stop the clock. Ah! How did you do that? I have no idea. I just pushed this button. So your watch stops time? No. Look, it's moving. I don't think time has stopped. I think we're just moving really fast. That man, your watch is off the hook. What are we going to do next? Oh, yeah, that's funny, Zach. That's real funny. What if there was someone? Have a nice day, Henry. My dad consults on all these super secret projects. I sent him a watch. You idiot! Who do anything to get it back? want that one what if the future what is going on you're running around with something that's not supposed to exist was in your hands i'm officially freaked out now now give me the walker your hottie here gets it limber there's got to be something we can do to stop them we don't start. Well, you heard the man. Let's go. We got a problem. The kid is doing something freaky. Let's go. It's like not going to do any of that. It's dropping you in the middle of a story. You get to see an hour and a half of it and then you're gone. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, there's an art to that. And it's, it's a bit lost these days. It is. Cause when, because this was the first time I watched Clockstoppers, because Time Nickelodeon, because this is a Nickelodeon movie, Time Nickelodeon mm-hmm. really started kicking off i was not in that realm like it was always um saved by the bell or kind of those other late 80s early 90s 
um, teen kind of sitcom kind of things. Um, even the Disney Channel really hadn't kicked off yet. So I was all very kind of, I haven't, this is kind of a genre of movie I don't particularly understand very well. And I think it is a really hard tone to get between wholesome sweetness, but just really relaxed and fun. And Clockstop is does that like i know i did an episode with matt bledslow on um the oh, computer house it had katie sagel it's really really fun but it's very intent mm-hmm. on being kid friendly you can kind of tell like everything about it is um very intent on being kind of okay yeah the house is magic it can do all this kind of thing katie Siegel's going to go a bit mad but everything's going to be okay where this clock stopper still has that element of oh um, Michael Bean is a gut, is going to kill everyone. Like he is a menacing enough villain for you to go, oh, I think there's some actual danger here. There's intensity and there's these really cool emotional um, thoroughfares I was not expecting, especially between Jesse Bradford and his dad. Um, yeah. Who, I, and so it got this, yeah, it's, it's really sweet, but without being obnoxious about it, as you said before. And that is kind of what drew, drew me in really quickly was that relationship between the father and son. Yeah, Robin Thomas is the actor that, yes. that plays his dad, and he was on. I mean, I saw him, you know, coming up in a lot of television series and things like that. And I mean, but he he did spots on a, a little bit of everything at one time or another that I had watched, and then has been in a lot of films. It's a face that you know is the yes. thing. But I'll tell you the thing that where I will always sort of land on him is he did a movie with Mark Harmon in 1987 called Summer School, which is also one of those like <laughs> way better than it has any right to be kind of. It really- rom-com and he's such the jerk vice principal and i will always remember him as that guy as i think his gibbs was his name which is funny because i think that was uh harman's character on ncis all those years but yeah i mean he he's um he's just so he can be so like smarmy that boss but he could also just be the sort of disconnected overworked kind of work obsessed dad and i don't know i i loved him in this and it's very important when you're going to do a movie where you have a teenage age character and they're going to have to relate to adults that there's some, that there's good chemistry between those things. And the movie that, that I've always sort of landed on with this is I felt like this was Nickelodeon's attempt to redo back to the future without redoing back to the future. Um, and I, I contend back to the future is one of those incredible blockbusters that can never be remade because the conceit of it is something you can't replicate anymore. No. People understand. Cause the, the conceit of it is that a kid from the eighties would not have been friends with their parents in the, 50s and that i mean that's the guy that wrote it like bob gale that's what he said like inspired him was that he realized i would not have been friends with my dad in high school and he said well i wonder if i could make that a story and the thing is is that things have changed especially by the 2000s kids are you know more friendly with their parents and jesse bradford and rob thomas have that kind of relationship but they're also there's that natural contention where dad's like really obsessed with work and he wants his son to kind of be the same sort of brain that he is. And he doesn't really accept that he's a little more creative and he's not into that kind of thing. And, and you know, it's, it, it's that age old struggle. And to pull that off, you have to have actors that are willing to give each other a lot and also give the material a lot. And I, I give the screenwriters credit and Frank's credit in particularly for how do you do that without bogging the movie down in it and also getting bogged down in all the techno babble. Uh, because they they never really explain how any of this stuff works, and this I think that's to the movie's credit. Because the more you pull at those threads, the the less likely you're going to be willing to go with it. But anybody that grew up watching Quantum Leap or had seen Back to the Future is immediately going to go like, "Oh, it's kind of like that, but in a watch." Okay, and then and then you're just there, you know, and you just live with it. 
I know. Once they're helping their friend out who is a terrible um, um, disc uh, jockey uh, turntable yeah. guy. Sorry, I am so not cool. Um, that, that I was like, how, how are they doing that? I don't understand even with the technology, but it does help when your main scientist is um, French Stewart. So you yes. kind of just accept the... Um, the silliness of, of the premise because the first thing you see is him trying to escape and just like how he just bribes people with just by just like like throwing money at Lo- them essentially loads of cash he's got that ridiculous beard all that stuff it's the other thing i'll give this movie credit for too is because i've only ever seen him really do it once once other is michael bean as a villain is not his usual go-to no he's usually the hero right but he plays an incredible villain here and he's, he's kind of the villain that he's sort of put upon because he he, he took a contract with the government so he has no choice like no. he's got to do what he's got to do yeah but he he's gonna go to jail you know whatever at the end but he's so incredible in tombstone as johnny ringo like the tombstones is littered with i mean being historically accurate it's not its goal no, so no. don't worry about that but just as a movie is littered with just such great character actors and really performances all over but val kilmer and him steal that movie away from everybody else because they're so good together and he is so good as johnny ringo and it's it's weird to call johnny ringo a villain because the real one like probably wasn't doc holiday was probably for the villain yes you know (laughs) history be damned you know whatever but he's so good in that and so it was neat to see i'm like oh i didn't know michael bean ever played the bad guy again but he's perfect for it how did he not get more of those roles exactly i guess because he's always going to be the terminator guy that saves the day or the aliens guy exactly i think that's yeah he's hicks and he's um you know uh come with me if you want to live from the original terminator Mm -hmm. but it is but yeah even the abyss he's got this really amazing intensity if you've ever seen the abyss he yeah, kind of yeah. turns into a villain because he just goes mm-hmm. insane. They're, they're all stuck in the water. They can't get out. And there's these kind of weird alien water things running around. So he's kind of the one that has got his own movie going on. <laughs> and everyone's just like, what are you, what are you? But he's got this really cool intensity um, mm-hmm. about him. And it works when he's a villain. And he has to sell it in very short snippets. Like he's not, I mean, this is more um, Jesse Bradford and his friends getting very excited about a, a watch that can either slow down time or stop time completely and you can just run around and have and have fun with it. So I do like the fact that it's not necessarily going back in time, but it's mm-hmm. playing with all these different time whitey yeah, elements. Whole, yeah. yeah. And the then whole, the whole thing is that apparently it speeds you up yes. to the point where everything is still happening, but you're just able to do it so much faster. So you in your own relative sense are moving normally, but everyone around you is experiencing what it can't even detect you as to how much you're going. I think his dad's the one that gives that you know, like really your know, perfect, no college course I ever took was that fun, by the way. Yeah. Um, and any, any form <laughs> where he's talking about like somebody comes by you in a Ferrari and you're in a Pinto or whatever. It's that's relativity. And I was like, not exactly, but okay. That'll okay. Work. And it works <laughs> for this, this movie, but I, yeah. yeah. Um, Cause it is loosely based on a, um, G, uh, Wells short story which is uh, mm-hmm. that kind of thing this guy was able to have this machine where he's able to speed up so fast that everyone looked that he could go through walls it's like very flash it's like you're going so fast that you can just your metabolism just like moves through things um and so it's kind of loosely based on that but I do like the fact that yeah that college course looks so much fun I'm like oh I don't remember um university being that fun mm-hmm. or that engaging and I but I do like the element of um you're right how his dad is very I'm going to be a dad to everyone else because they're into what I'm into and since you're not what I'm into I don't know how to communicate with you and I think that mm-hmm. it can be such a, a a problem when you're 
I don't have children, but when you're trying to impart your love of something to your kid and they're just looking at it going, oh, yeah, but I don't like movies. And you're just like going, but they're, they're movies. Watch them. Sit down. I'm like, no, I'm watching right. YouTube. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's the kind of the whole, I'm turning into my own person. You just kind of have to accept that. And I, it's, um, so again, it's all about, I do love the line when his, his mother says, you should have a better relationship with your father because when, before you know it, he'll be old and gray, which kind of happens in the movie because mm-hmm. you're, I don't understand how that machine works, but you get older in it. <laughs> um, yeah. Apparently like if, yeah. if you stay in hyper time too long mm-hmm. um, and under, like when they put you in the little bubble that French Stewart is in, that they put that funny gray makeup on him. Yeah. They have him in there for so long that like he's in there for an hour, but it can feel like a week. So when they keep yes. him in there for a week, he's aging. It's almost like the interstellar. Yes. Um, conceit. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, you know, again, um, Christopher Dolan is, is nothing but an archivist of, of lots of pop culture. And I'm like, I guarantee you, he's seen this movie and loves it. And he wrote that conceit in there. That's also some of the real science to that. I mean, it's, it is. it's science that could never exist. You know, it's that Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of yeah. like, let me explain to this to you and no one can get what he's talking about. But I get, I mean, that's a neat conceit though, but it allows you to have a, a presence like French Stewart, who's, he really should be the older brother of Jesse Bradford's character. He really uh, should. He's, like, he's the star student, but, and they're so relatively close in age that, cause like Jesse Bradford, I think it's like 23 in real life when he did this movie and Paula Garces is almost 30. We'll talk yes. about that. Like, but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but they, they're doing that and it's like, okay, so we have to, we have to have this other character that's sort of the intermediary between him and his dad. And I'm like, Oh, that's dangerous. And it's kind of like having the doc Brown thing, but they didn't want somebody that old because Christopher Lloyd was so much older than hmm. or looked so much older than Michael J. Fox. So they said, okay, we'll just do like the older brother. He never had, but it'd be somebody that he knows. Right. And so hmm. they have this relationship and, so, but they put that gray on him and he, he talks about how, it's ruining his life because he there was something he didn't do in the formula right that messed up the age process and they had to build a chair to de-age you and it, as we see it doesn't work because it turns him into to miko hughes at the end of this with a bad <laughs> that was a but, surprise uh, <laughs> i was just like yeah, i didn't what? see that coming I, I forgot about that i was like oh that's right he's in this for like a second yeah <laughs> but yeah um i i um i love that conceit though and i love that uh, i love a movie that will set up enough rules for you that you just can go like, okay, this, that's the playground we're in. And then it doesn't violate any of them. It actually plays by its own rules. And that, that takes again, good direction and a smart script to do because it's one thing to set up rules. There's nothing to actually follow through on any of them. And, and I appreciate that they don't, they don't cut any corners on it. Like the rules are the rules. We have to do this. And they go through a good bit of figuring out like, Oh, I have to be touching you to also be in hyper time with you. And I, if you, if I'm not touching you, when you come out of it, I'm still left in it. And you know, they, they do all that back and forth to kind of make all that work. No, I do love how the kids just really quickly accept what's happening. It happens really, really quickly, which is what, uh, which is smart because there's no, over explaining it to someone else um mm-hmm. especially with uh paula grace's gas's character g- character um yeah. she's just very okay what are you doing what's going on oh wait this happened oh this is cool and you get the cool thing when she's playing with the water drops and and all that kind of thing um and then it just happens very very quickly once um jesse bradford understands wait this watch is not just something i'm wearing because i want to tell the time it's actually doing a thing and he's like oh cool okay how do i use this um in my own personal life which is a very teenage thing to do i mean yes there are yes. movies like 
um, the new the uh, Doctor Doodle of Kevin James when he discovers he can talk to animals and the first thing is says, "Well, we're going to help you get a date." It's like that's really that's the first thing you're going to do. But if you're meant to be playing a fifteen year old, um, yeah, yeah, you're like, "Oh, I'm going to show this. I'm trying to you know get this girl to like me. I like this girl. I've got this now. I've got this cool thing I can show her. Let's let's go for it." And um, it's it's very cool in that sense that it just happens really quickly. Everyone accepts it. Everyone knows it. They, now they get to go and have have fun with it and get revenge on all the bullies and everything like that. Oh yeah, I mean I, I love it. I love how again every movie is a time capsule of its moment or whatever. Yeah, and like the music scene in the two thousands, the soundtrack <laughs> to this movie oh, it is such me. a is such a mood. And I was just like, oh, I remember all of these songs. <laughs> you know, the, the needle drops from Uncle Cracker to Third Eye Blind, and you got Blink One Eighty Two. All those you know, yeah. are in there, and I'm like, and lit. And I'm, yeah. uh, again, it was just this moment of there's this mix of this post grunge alt rock kind of stuff, like simple plan, you know, yes. the, kind of the new pop punk. And then you've also got like all the DJ music, you know, yes. from Phoenix TX and Wang Chung and, you know, and, and cool Keith and all these guys. And, and you have this whole conceit that their third friend who kind of drops out of the movie, they really do just sort of to yeah. drop Meeker out is in a DJ battle with, I don't know who this other kid is. He reminds me of one of the, American Idol contestants, the one that could beatbox really well. I was like, oh, is that that same guy? Because it, it, it looks like him, but it's it not. might have been. Yeah, I was sort of wondering who who is this kid? They've just kind of. Just I don't know who that yeah. kid is, but they they had this whole like DJ off, and yeah. of course, Jesse Bradford and Paula Garces like manipulate time to be able to help their friend win because he he sucks like he's not yeah. any good and i'm like well, he's trying he's, he sucks yeah <laughs> yeah but but that's the fun part is that uh, of these kind of movies is that yeah they've got to do the big government overthrow you know all that stuff is is running after them and they got to figure out you know how to get this back and save dad mm. and all that but in the meanwhile we got to do like high school stuff too and i i like that this movie does high school stuff much like my science project like yes. they're caught up in in the high schoolness of all of them. most of it goes down at the high school and i'm like i kind of i kind of appreciate that about a movie that again it's a bunch of 20 year olds playing high school students and in one case almost a 30 year old the grand tradition of high school movies yeah. and tv oh yeah, yeah. i mean since <laughs> since since long before in in the tradition of the 80s yes it, it's, it's very much like that but I, I appreciate that the movie takes time to have those moments because it adds some good comedy and it also lets us see how this works and that you know, the, the trope is a lot of times if people got their hands on this, it would go in, it would be for bad, right? And Jesse yeah. Bradford's character never once does anything that is outwardly hostile. No. You know, it's he he pulls a prank and he He's has not some fun. <laughs> yeah. And and when he has the chance to slow down time and like, you know, kiss the girl or whatever, he doesn't. He just admires her skin tone and then yeah. you know, brings her back. And I'm like, I kind of appreciate against the part of the wholesomeness of this movie. I'm like, that could be cheesy, but it's actually not. It's actually played really sweet and it makes the movie really sweet. It does, because I when she first froze and he was looking at it, I'm like, oh, don't kiss her. This is 2002. This is still, yeah, when he would just, and he goes, no, he goes, oh, you really got amazing skin. And I'm like, oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie is so 2002. I mean, when I think it opens with the Blink 182 song, and I'm just like, yes. yeah, yes. I'm like, oh, I remember this time. And the fact that it's got like a teen, young, under sort of 18 rave, I'm like, oh yeah, that's when they started doing that and rave stopped being cool. <laughs> I know, right? It was, I was like, yeah, it was all this stuff that just sort of, I mean, the early 2000s, it was a big salad bowl of pop culture. Particularly it so musically. was. And, yeah. and I, I remember, because at the time I was in a lot of bands and was doing music in, in a big way. 
man, I just remembered the melting pot or not even that again, the salad bowl of music that you could be a little bit of everything. And every, it was when everyone really got into the idea of the mixtape grew to the burn CD yes. and the mixtape. The thing about the mixtape was that there was a theme to them. Was. It was all pretty much the same kind of artist, whereas the burn CD could be everything. And the soundtrack to this is kind of like a friend's burn CD. It could just be a little bit of all of it. Had so many burn CDs that, yeah, and it was. It was never like, yeah, the, it always seemed like the mixtape was like, okay, I've got to plan, I've got to curate, I want to try and say something. Was the, the burn yeah. CD was just like, okay, um, who, what music can I get access to and to burn and to what is playing at the moment? There was never a theme. It was just a mismatch of noise. And that was very early. Right. It was very Napster, Kazaa, all yes, of those yes. like, services where you would, you know, take you hours to download stuff, but you would just download. Oh, I remember that song. I want that one. And I want that one too. Yes. And it was, it was, it was pre Spotify and was. Apple music and all of that stuff where now you can just do that, which is, is fun. Cause I do that with like my run playlist and yeah. I, I laugh at myself at, you know, the stuff I, I throw together sometimes. I'm like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. <laughs> I just didn't call it this then, you know? And, um, but I love, I love that that, that doesn't date this movie in a bad way because it's still a part of our lives. It like, really is. Action. Oh, okay. When I first to admit, there was a few songs I just went, oh my God, mainly because they probably were on a burn CD that I had at the time. So this, I'm not trying to be too cool for this movie. This was music yeah. I was actually listening to. Like I... I was, I like to pretend that that had the cool bands like that I would listen to that wasn't like that post grunge scene. But no, I was the person oh, who God. was listening to, I was a huge Blink One. I still am actually, I still like Blink 182, but there were certain bands of that time I was like, yeah, I like this band. And everyone's looking at me going, yeah, you shouldn't say that out loud. I, look, I still, I still like Simple Play. And I think yeah. they're a pretty kind of underrated pop punk band. I, I dig their whole like Canadian, French Canadian thing. And, exactly. And they, <laughs> they, they just make good pop music. I mean, pop music just, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good pop tune all the time anyway. So, so it just gets, it gets packaged a different way. So what? But no, I love that about this movie though, is the, all the needle drops in it. Um, don't date it horribly. Um, it's the one thing that's kind of missing from my science project. Actually, is it doesn't have good needle drops in it, and honestly, Disturbia doesn't have good ones either. Like it's 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 too in the moment to, yeah. to be like it's too cool for itself. But the, movies like this and like Weird Science had some good ones in it. And you know, think about a movie like The Breakfast Club. That soundtrack is just as famous as the as the movie. You know, because because of those songs, you know, the Simple Mind songs and yeah. things like that. Like the, people knew those. And I would argue too, like Back to the Future, those Huey Lewis songs drive that that movie. Like yeah, I can't hear Power of Love and not think about, oh yeah, let me grab a skateboard and you know get behind a, a truck, you know, or whatever, which is nothing anyone would ever do that out of the same mind. No, but it's it, part of of pop culture because of those moments. Exactly, it's kind of weird. It's like it's either sometimes a song that uses music for the moment can it, it it does date a movie in a certain way, but it does date it in the fact that like oh yeah, I was in two thousand two, like I was running around mm -hmm. being a crazy person two thousand two because I was like turning twenty. So it was kind of that was all part of the landscape. To think, which is probably why I don't mind a needle drop. I know it annoys people, but like with the uh, Fair Street movies, I was loving it mainly because this was 90s music and that is mm -hmm. my music. Like I, I stopped at like 2004. Like <laughs> it doesn't yeah, really. Yeah, I, like, like I don't think yeah. I've liked anything cool in at least 12 years. Like, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
and i'm okay with that like I exactly <laughs> so when they're playing cypress hill and all these other bands i'm just like yeah this is where i feel comfortable just drop needle point on needle, just drop needle drop on needle drop i'm i'm not concerned and this kind of does that but it's all very much you can tell these are the songs that these kids are listening these are the plus this is the music like in breakfast club they're listening to simple lines and um they are these kids are listening to blink blink 182 it fits the world that it's in even if i was like going oh my god yeah i wore that outfit yeah yeah i remember all of this um i remember when paintball and rollerblading yeah i was gonna say like paintball is the other thing that this movie nails for a time i'm like oh that was new in the 2000s right and it was really popular like it's yeah. yeah you'd you'd have stores that you could go outfit yourself so you could go play paintball on the weekend it was absolutely huge now i think it's just for like corporate events or something but right yeah time, I, mean, I, th- kids... I think one of my offices has done that before like you know <laughs> i just laugh but but i always like in movies i remember that was a great scene in 10 things i hate about you the yes. thing of the true you know remake and i love the paintball scene so i'm like that's perfect that's that's exactly what those kids should be doing in that time and i'm yes. like yeah that this is of the time this is great and the fact that they work it as like a plot point in the movie is brilliant because it's like okay liquid nitrogen brings you back out of hyper time like the quick and dirty way mm. it's not great but it'll work so if you get shot with it so we gotta have like you get government henchmen they can't be pointing guns at kids like even in the 2000s the people knew like we well, ain't doing that like that's not no that's even though that's how it would really work no, we're not doing that yeah so we're gonna shoot liquid nitrogen at people okay that sounds kind of fun and the fact that they load up paintball guns with little like liquid nitrogen pellets i'm like yeah. that's kind of cute I'm like i i dig that the, we outfit them with you know laser weapons that aren't that aren't deadly they're all on stun and that's that's the cute part of this movie it is very and it is very star trek it's like set to stun it's um yeah and also the fact that this is the ultimate it's got the ultimate kid on bike running away from government agent scene when Mm -hmm. jesse bradford's on because he establishes establishes that he knows how to do stunts on bike which i really do like when he's when the character's like you know doing Mm -hmm. like a handstand on it and like doing kind of cool flips and and walking these things and and so when he's running through the all of the the office to get down to the where the the, um scientific stuff is happening yeah i'm really good with words um and it's just like i'm like oh my god of course they are because this is based on every single kids adventure 80s movie so of course he's going to be on the bike running away from government agent that's what you did (laughs) well i mean like his whole thing is he wants a car and yes. Francesca is not even like his primary goal. She just happens to walk through the store to do some rock climbing or whatever, whatever yeah. outdoor adventure store he works Again, at. Again, big in 2002. He, <laughs> right. Yeah. But he, he takes it with her, but he wants this car and, and he keeps trying to convince his dad, you know, and it's all like, oh, you got to make a decision more logically, all this stuff. So he's he, like, we give him a transportation problem mm. basically is that he doesn't have a car. He has a bike. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of the conceit of Ferris Bueller's day off too, is he doesn't have a car. His sister does. Right. So that's why they're on public transportation the whole time through Chicago. Mm. That's why they're running around. So they steal Cameron's dad's car, all that stuff. Right. And I'm like, well, this is that, I mean, it's a neat conceit and I'll give, I love movies too, that work stuff in that like people just know how to do. Yeah. Apparently Jesse Bradford could do like a lot of that. Oh, like, wow. He didn't do all of it, but he could do some of it. And he learned how to do a lot of it. And there's that scene early on when he's like jamming out of the guitar. That's it, really him. Yeah. Like, I knew that was him. Really yeah. play. And I, I remembered that. I was like, oh yeah, he, he does. He's jamming and bring it on too. And I was like, you know, he's not faking. Like that's, that's real. Like as a guitar player, I'm like, no, that's actually how you do that. That's really good. And I, I love that when movies, especially with teenagers will work in stuff that they know how to do just so they can just do it, you know, and it's kind of neat. 
need. It's like somebody that you wouldn't expect knows how to sing and they let them do it. And you're like, oh, wow, you actually can sing or you can dance or whatever. And I thought that was kind of cool. No, it's like the first time I realized Adam Driver could sing. I was like, wait, what? Right, right. Yeah, and I was like, it's not what you expect. Not the voice no. you expect to come out of that face either. And it's like, wow. No, that voice yeah. does not. When he speaks, it suits his face. When he sings, I'm like, I did not realize you could sing like an angel. That was that was a surprise. Right. No, but I do yeah. love that. It's like um, why so many stunt coordinators uh, in, when they act in movies, they'll also do action because they're like, well, I know, no, I know you have that skill set. So no, it is actually just really cool. And it does give his character... Um, a little bit more things i do love the whole driving the kid wants a car but can't get a car and i love that conceit in movies because that is kind of the point of when a teenager really gets his gets their freedom like i can mm-hmm. actually drive anywhere i want to go and i don't necessarily um have to always it's kind of when the parents are starting to let go of the okay you need to be home by this time where are you going i need to know certain points it's kind of like the next step to when you're becoming an adult is when there's the whole driving thing and that's kind of what this is and it kind of feels like he's even pulling away more from his dad when he wants the car because now he's going to spend even less time at home and it's this really Mm -hmm. um and is even though his dad can't even though he can't relate to his son he's like well when he as soon as he gets okay i need you to be responsible i need you to do it this one he's like no i i just want a car because i'm 15 16 that's what i'm meant to do and the fact that it's um paula who has the car i was a really interesting dynamic though the way she acts around him you can tell she's old <laughs> Just, oh yeah yeah it's and, uh, i love Paula she's been in so many cool things i uh, i think the first time i ever noticed her anything was in a, a show called the shield and oh, uh, she's was, got a she's on CSI for several, me. <laughs> yeah I think, I think she's she's been on that for a while but i'm like mm. or was on it like all the way through and i was like oh yeah i i didn't realize you did other things but i've seen her another so now but she you can tell like Oh yeah, she's a lot older than him. Like it's, it's very. It was, also, she's taller, and they they kind of yes. go work around that uh, in a lot of ways because Jesse Bradford's not a tall guy. No, but I I do think it's funny how they they play. But they did have good chemistry together still, even so. But I think it is neat that he's having to bum rides and do all this kind of stuff. And, and again, it just gives the movie the fun conceits it needs to move along because even though they have all this power, they have no idea what they're really getting a hold of. And then when they finally run into Doppler is when they realize like, Oh, the, the, you know, he gets back home. And I think it's all of Michael Bean's henchmen are at the house. Yeah. Looking and for the watch. They, yeah. Yeah. And they are also in hyper time. So it's when you realize like, Oh, this can be used for evil yes. or at least for the dark. Right. And that's, what's kind of sinister is that it, it's when Michael Bean's character really turns. Right. Because at first, like you said, first meeting with the rand, I call him like the random X-Files villain you know government villain um that comes in and tells me like no you knew you know we can't let this fall into the hands of the saddams of the yeah. world and all that kind of stuff and you know they could just plant a nuclear bomb in the bathroom i'm like going but they do uh, maybe I mean, are they that organized <laughs> maybe i don't know but either way i get it and but i love that he become he goes from like corporate bureaucrat kind of dude to no i will go and get this and i don't think he's interested in like hurting anyone it's more of a if i have to freeze you in nitrogen to get back my property i'm going to because let's be fair french stewart mailed his dad the the super secret government technology and it just winds up in this kid's hands by accident yeah that's the funny part of it it's almost it's why i really thought of my science project i was like yes in the beginning of that movie uh dwight eisenhower or not eisenhower tells him to bury that in the desert and some kid finds it on a date and turns it on and then yeah you know shenanigans happen and i think that's really 
it's neat that we can still play that trope over it again and it doesn't get old. And that's what happens here is that they don't know what he's doing with it. They just know he can't have it because they're up against a deadline. And as someone who's worked for a long time now and works off of deadlines, I'm like, Oh God, I kind of feel for Michael Bean. Like as someone who's been in a lot of project management meetings, I'm like, Oh, I feel you, man. You got a deadline and there's people wanting stuff that you don't know how to produce and you, you just got to make it happen. And so in some ways he's not the bad guy. He's just the antagonist. Well, they do call him a terrorist at like two points. And I don't know, but I'm like, how is, what is he his ultimate? Cause terrorists usually do have a, an allegiance at least. I'm like, I have no idea what Michael Bean actually wants with this technology to begin with. Yeah, you're right. He's literally I think just it on is a to deadline. Meet the NSA deadline because yes. they're the ones funding this. And that's pretty much it. So, yeah, because yeah, Ken Jenkins is like, yeah, yeah, this is done, but we're spending way too much money or unless or kind of whatever. Um, but no, I think there is there's that point where it turns into kids' fantasy movie that is fun to okay, now we're actually in a proper spy we're in a spy thriller. Mm-hmm. Things are about to get actually dangerous mistakes because even though Michael Bean will kill you. Like he, by the end of the movie, he's prepared to like yeah. um, kill people. He's th- he's definitely threatening the people by that stage and kidnapping people and doing all kinds of uh, shenanigans. But when, yeah, they get to the house and they realize other people are moving around in the house as such a nice touch. Like he's like, oh, oh I've got everything on hyper time. Who are these guys? Mm-hmm. And the fact that everything turns bad so quickly, and then French Stewart comes in, and I like how French Stewart just doesn't explain anything. Like Jesse's just asking all these questions, and did French Stewart just like, an, I, I don't know. <laughs> he, yeah, well, he's yeah, he's yeah. kind of saying stuff, but at the same time, he's not really explaining anything, and it's it's kind of adorable. <laughs> It is, and it's what makes this movie good because at that point, we've already explained to you how this works, so mm. we don't need somebody else to unwind it. Mm. We just need someone else to help push the the plot along and to yeah. give them a little bit of adult guidance without dad being involved. Exactly. You know, and I'm like, okay, so Doppler is this genius scientist who's maybe seven, eight years, maybe 10 years older than than Jesse Bradford's character, you can guess, because if he's out of university mm. and, and you assume he's a PhD and all this kind of stuff, that's about the timeline for this. Let's say he's brilliant. He did some Doogie Howser grade skips, whatever. Yeah. But but he's playing older because he's been hyper time, you know, ahead. I, I love how he has to be kind of the voice of reason, but he's also like the most manic presence in the movie. And that's what's hilarious is like Jonathan Frakes cast that perfectly. It, it goes totally against what that type should be. He should be very like Doc Brown and kind of the way Doc Brown is in the sequels to Back to the yes. Future. He's very much like, no, you can't do this. We've got to stick to the rules. He's very much not. He's just like, oh, look, man, I don't know. It just, it's bad. Like, we just got to get it back. You don't need to fool with it. it you know what you're doing. And I, I I love that he plays that role in this. No, because French Stewart has such a weird face, which is perfect when he's like, which it makes him a perfect character actor. Like he's got that kind of weird engrossing kind of face. So when you kind of realizing how old he actually is versus to how old he's been turned and the fact that he's just this huge jumble of manic energy, it kind of works perfectly. It's a little bit disconcerting when you're first meeting because he's got the, the terrible beard on and he's like, trying to get on a plane um which this kind of feels like it was filmed before 9 11 because you could just not walk right into a gate and offer someone money for their ticket yeah i was like in 2002 no 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 no. yeah this was definitely (laughs) filmed before 9 11 because i was like airports do not work like this at all and they haven't so long but they used to they used to to. that's that's what's funny yeah you could just walk in and do anything you wanted and but i just was thinking this is 2002 uh, french Stewart would not be doing any of this (laughs) you'd be being they'd be rugby tackled by now um but it is so yeah you get this kind of and i was like what i don't yeah because it's kind of doc brown but it's kind of not 
he's kind of dopey even though he's meant to be so it took me a while to sort of work out oh he is actually probably maximum only in his mid-20s and but he's been aged to the point now he lo- he's meant to be looking like he's 45 so it's kind of like in the movie warlock Mm-hmm. when um yeah. laurie what's her name is being aged and she's like 45 and it's the worst thing that could happen to her because it's that is when you're 25 being 45 is the oldest you will ever get when you well, get yeah, and, and that's, yeah. a, that's a nancy that's a nancy joke in the first night Elm Street. oh my god i look 24 years old or whatever i'm like oh god only that's all that happened yeah but yeah I'm a, I, I just laugh about that and it's it's but yeah that, that but when you're a teenager that is absolutely the worst thing you can think of is gray hair and all of this stuff's like this old person you know yes yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's uh, that no. rush to grow up and you get what you wish for. And both um, French Stewart and Jesse Bradford kind of want that. Paula doesn't because she's already an adult. <laughs> right, yeah, she, she really is. Even she's in already the movie. an adult in real life. And she yeah. plays one too because she's the daughter of a diplomat. She's grown up with a, you know, she's, she's obviously from a more well-to-do family, yes. but she's not privileged because she still has to do chores. She has to rake the yard. She has to babysit her brother. She has to do, and she wants to do them too. That's the other thing. So that's the thing. She seems in. so much more mature and she keeps kind of telling Jesse Bradford how to court a lady. That's what sort of meaning when she seems older yeah. than him. It's just the way she acts It's because yeah, she's traveled around the world. She probably had to grow up a lot quicker than a lot of kids where she goes to school with. Like she's just not having any of the bullshit at the beginning with the two guys trying to hit on her. She's just like, Oh God, way so she does act older um mm-hmm. which i think works for her character again it's kind of got these different layers of kids wanting to be older than they actually are and there's reasons behind it this movie's really smart guys um and oh, it is. It's, it's, yeah. i'll tell you what it is it's the better version of what they could have done with the jennifer character in the back to the future series yes. that's kind of the forgotten role they just sort of leave that one they leave poor elizabeth shoe on a porch i know for two movies and it's like you're wasting elizabeth shoe and uh, you know whatever but i mean like it's almost like they fixed that and i don't know if they were directly doing that but like if we're going to give him a female sidekick she has to have like agency and things to do so why not make she her has the, the car she knows one? how to drive she yeah. makes her own decisions she, she's she knows the smart how to one operate. Yeah. she gets in and out of stuff and there's a there's a another movie from the 80s where this happens where cynthia nixon is actually playing the female counterpart to, ah. to the guy it's called the manhattan project and it's about a kid this. yeah it, you should see this it's about a kid it's john lithgow's in it and it's it's incredible but it's about a kid who basically builds a nuclear bomb because a nuclear test facility moves in to his neighborhood and he decides i'm smart enough and he goes in there and he does it and cynthia nixon is like his accomplice throughout mm. all of this stuff but she's also the smart one because she's got the car and she gets him in and out of buildings and I, anyway it's, it's really it reminded me of that and i'm like i don't know if the people that wrote this had that in mind at all because it was one of those just kind of come and go kate capshaw's in it for like 10 minutes kind of movie uh things but i remembered it because i watched it so much growing up because i think we taped it off of you know free weekend of showtime or something and it just was on a vhs cassette and i watched it all the time because like i said i'm a movie guy and so I remembered that and I thought this character, Francesca, reminded me a whole lot of her. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is kind of neat. That's sort of cool. And what's neat is you go back and watch that now and you see like Cynthia Nixon is such has such a presence as an actor anyway. And yeah. you see it like even as a young person, like, oh, she had it then too. Like she's really good. And so um I, I, I enjoyed enjoyed that. And I enjoyed that about this character too, that she had so much of her own um reason to do everything that she's doing and it is cute the way that she does basically tell him like if you want to date me more on this is how you have to do it yeah yeah i'm not putting up with any teenage 
she's kind of that there's always the one girl in high school that goes oh no i don't want to date high school boys they're too immature mm-hmm. which a lot of them are but then you put yourself into situations you should be put your situations in but she is that girl who kind of already realizes that um boys are just hitting on her because they can not because they know what to do in the next five minutes so she's like no if you want to date me you are going to come and help me do my chores because if there's a lull, we can just work. We don't have to worry about it. As soon as you bring a possum into the house, like I'm kicking you out because <laughs> you're being an idiot. You're being a boy. And yeah. then, oh, you've got, actually, now what's this watch? What's this watch? Okay, now we can have kind of fun with it. And it's a nice process of the way they kind of get to know each other a little bit, which I enjoyed. So when she's going on that final adventure with them, I can kind of buy that she would actually do that because, um, this is not just like, oh, you're the boy and I'm going to help you. It's like, no, no, no. I know you're in, I've kind of experienced this power with you. I know there's going to be consequences to it eventually. So yeah, let's, let's just go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes it so much fun is that she continues to drive that along and goes along for the ride. Mm. That's the other thing is that at no time does she, question what he's doing because is when she figures out hyper time is when she's basically throwing him out of the house and she's pushing him on his back yes and he hits the watch to go like no it's like this is what happens when i do this and then she's in it and she's like oh okay and she's like totally fascinated with it and then the, i mean they go on that short little adventure where they kind of go and write all the wrongs around town yeah. you know <laughs> and then, yeah and it, it's cute it's, it's, it's like yeah it's harmless pranks is what you would do and it shows her as because she has to carry the burden of being the mature one Mm. of the group it allows her to show that she can also be fun and have yes. a little fun and i oh, love yeah. how she's she's just as involved in that as as they are oh yeah when they're helping uh what's his name with the terrible disc turning when he's a t- being when he's just like bombing. oh yeah, well, yeah they're doing they're, they're helping and they go and help him they're like but, oh, yeah, yeah we'll but be- even beyond that she's the one that's the good shot with the, with the liquid nitrogen yeah, like she, she is. She she's really good at that. I'm like, yes, of course it would be. And it's almost it kind of reminds me of like the particularly the book version of Stephen King's it that like Bev is the only one that can hit the broadside of a barn with the, with the slingshot. And I'm like, of yes. course, like yeah, because girls mature faster than guys. Like, it's, yeah. and and particularly at that time, they're way like dudes are way more spazzy. And the care the actors here who are all playing the teenage boys, none of them were teenagers at the time, but they certainly remembered it because they all were the same spaz that yes. you are when you're 17 or 16 like no, it's, you can't control it there's nothing I love, you can do yeah sometimes. i love when they're in the hyperdrive pod and he's just like oh so who's your friend and he's like oh this is you know uh francesca and he's like uh is that why you wanted the car so badly like yeah just yeah like, dad, oh, dad's like i get you uh, i get I'm you here. there's a girl involved okay i should have guessed that <laughs> it's yeah, an, but it's he's a like, no, not really. And she kind of looks at him like whatever you know which is funny but that's that's how i parents try to relate to their teenage kids and then the kids are like yeah okay sure yeah. you know and, and it's it's cute but no i mean I, I love even the way that this whole thing unravels here at the end because mm. they they're they're basically gonna blow up the whole uh machine at yeah. the end of this thing and they go into like super hyper time like double hyper time mm. to do it so it drives the stakes up and it's like is this going to be bad i don't know but we'll we'll see it's like it's that great conceit of of uh is li- is a lightning strike really going to send me back to 1985 i don't know we're going to find out you know <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm i'm okay with that i kind of think that's fun cuz it's like I, it has to work right like if we shoot the gizmo does if we unplug the gizmo is, is everything going to go back to normal here at the high school maybe 
maybe. I mean, sure. And we'll I, have to I got see. a kick out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah one way no, to find out. It, one way to find out. No, I I really do like the action in, in this movie. And that is, of course, mostly down to uh, Jonathan Frankson, who he was hiring for his second unit and, and all that kind of thing. But especially with the van chase when mm-hmm. with um, French Stewart and they kind of go off the bridge because as soon as um, – I love the fact that Jesse Stewart really gets in trouble. Like he has to go on the run from the NSA or from whoever, from like mm-hmm. the law like that. Okay. I didn't love the police officer, but that he just, he just seemed to from Jesse from the beginning. It's just like, Oh no, I'm getting this kid. Like this kid is going to jail for 20 years. Um, he, he stole a, he stole a truck and or stole a van, but I do like how they, these kind of things fall on top of him. So he doesn't have to go on the run. And then you do get this really cool chase movie. And I think the action is really surprised me. Because with Nickelodeon or Disney um, thing movies, they don't usually put the money into an action sequence. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a kid on a bike. It, they usually talk it out. It's usually a guy throwing his head on the ground and stamping on it kind of vibe, even back into the 60s with with the live action Disney movies. And this one, they have vans going off bridges. I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> no, it is. And I would say like Frank's, I think is the one that can bring the touch to that because of the action that he yes. knew how to direct and all the years of being on, on uh, TNG and then having directed it before mm. he knew how to do that and do it on a budget. I think it's so that great. TV? That, yeah. Yeah. That you call that. He came from TV because you're right. It teaches you how to do deadlines and budget. Yeah. And like you, you can get a lot done and a lot with a lot less than you think you can. And that's the, that's the whole point. And I, I remember even Hitchcock talked about the reason he directed psycho with the TV group was because it was cheaper and it was faster. Yes. He didn't have to teach them how to do anything. He was like, Nope, they know exactly what I want. They'll do exactly what I tell them and we can do it cheap. Well, that, <laughs> so, I think it was, I can't remember it was universal paramount said, we're not giving you the money to make this movie. And he goes, I just got my mm-hmm. TV crew. I can do it really universal because it was on the universal lot with the famous yeah, uh, thing. I mean, that, that's the, yeah. That's the thing is, is a lot of times that kind of pressure breeds incredible creativity. Like restraints tend to do that. It's when things get overblown that it's like, that's cool, but there's too much happening here. <laughs> no, know, it's like time. Ty West. He went away and did a whole bunch of TV and I liked mm-hmm. Ty West before X and, and Pearl, but X and Pearl felt like a completely different director. There's an efficiency to those movies, which I don't think you would have had. You did not have in Ty West before he went away and directed TV because it, like you said before, you have to be on a, you have to do everything on a budget and you have to do it mm-hmm. really quick. And the fact that he went out and made two movies in New Zealand um, in 2020, I think says everything. It yeah. like he, I, knew he could do it. Yeah. And just as a side note, I, his house of the devil is one of the most creative, awesome things I've seen in the last 15 exactly. years. Exactly. Yeah. I watch that every, every October because it's a movie that can only work because it has no money exactly it has no stars it had but it has a, a hell of a needle drop with the with the fixed song yes. in the middle of it because i think i brought that up when we reviewed it but the riff of that song is played on the sixth fret with three strings it's like the six 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 and i'm like yeah. that is done on purpose y'all like that is genius and i love that i love that whole that whole thing about that and this is the thing frank's is due to this too though is it bringing that really smart efficient we mm. can do action we can have a big bang scene and and it not cost us, uh, you know, twenty million dollars to do exactly. That. And this movie had twenty six million dollar budget. That's not nothing. That's a lot of money. That is especially for this kind of movie, especially for Nickelodeon, which I think this was probably oh. at its peak because this is when I think iCarly. I don't actually know any of the Nickelodeon shows, um, but I think this is when it was really kind of getting into its. Oh, this is a brand. This is we are going to make a crap ton of money with this. So they probably could put. Okay, we're going to invest twenty six million dollars, but that is a hell of a budget for a Nickelodeon movie. 
It really is. And I mean, it made nearly 40 back. And yeah. then the, the home video was, was double that. And I'm like, this, this thing made it, it made the money. I mean, it definitely worked. It was a hit. And, and the fact that, again, it's one of those that it's kind of just buried in the Paramount, you know, plus app or whatever, yeah. but it's there and it ain't going nowhere. And you, I mean, it's just one of, I mean, Paramount's probably of, of all the, the studio companies just has this catalog of stuff. That's the most varied things. Yeah. And like you guys have just collected such an interesting array of, of film through the years and this one fits right in with it but you're right this is you know my, my reference point for Nickelodeon is like double dare and you can't do that on television exactly. so that was way beyond that oh uh, yeah my reference point I think is double dare with the because everyone got dumped with ooze that was my own yes. that's my only refer reference point for Nickelodeon is that you would get ooze on you at some point so this is yeah. way off and time I saw people talking about this other stuff I'm like well I'm in my mid-20s now I'm not gonna watch I don't know what this is. I'm, let's be honest, I'm probably watching CSI. Um, right, yeah, lost, I mean, yeah, or whatever yeah, else at, is kind of yeah, going at, on. At yeah. that point, like I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of other things. I'm not, I'm not, exactly. I wouldn't have seen this. And the fact that I caught this is really just one of those, like, you know, it was on a cable thing. And I thought, huh, that looks kind of fun and i just watched it and i was like oh this is this is actually really cute it's it like really it is really cute but it does pull you in really quickly because jesse bradford just has a really nice movie star not a movie star he's got just a really nice appealing face like everything's very asymmetrical he's a very handsome man and so he's just got these big eyes this big sort of well, he's, he's eyes the boy and... next door exactly he, he really is just the friendly boy in the neighborhood like in the 80s he would have had the paper route yeah you know and everybody would have known him he's just that that kid and and I, it's what makes him so likable and so fun. It's why doing something like Swim Fan is so so different for him because you're like, would you get in a sex scandal? I don't know. You know, like maybe. I mean, maybe. Christensen, I could understand, you know, like how you couldn't turn that down. But really, would you be that guy that did that? Because um, I I don't know. Because Michael Douglas, you absolutely believe would do that. Like he's yes, going Michael out and cheating Douglas, on he, he's cheating on Anarchy every night, like every yeah, weekend. Yeah, exactly. Like he, yeah, that's but, what. But like, which, by the way, do not do that to Anarchy. But yes, no, and please, and, and yes, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a whole other discussion. But I I love like I think of Jesse Bradford's in the same like group of like Penn Badgley, who's now on You or whatever. And, yeah. like, and he was also in that remake of The Stepfather, which is also like very sexy and scandalous, and mm. it's pretty good by the yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, for, for as horror remakes go. Oh, I need to watch. I haven't watched the re yeah, I need to watch the remake. It's good. It's, one, it's, yeah. it's worth your time. It's it's one I would put up there with like even like the remake of Prom Night, which is oh. way better than it deserves to be. It's actually really, really cute and fun. Yeah. Uh, Britney Snow's uh, I will watch her do anything. Well, yeah, Obviously. Britney Snow element I need to get and watch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She she's good. But again, I think of Penn Badgley as like, yes, you would be the sexy guy that gets in trouble. Jesse Bradford's your your younger brother who doesn't get in trouble and is the good kid. And yes. that's why that's why we like him and we can root for him. He's got that Michael J. Fox quality. Michael that's J. Fox, it, yes. even though Michael J. Fox was a 30-year-old at this point, Alex B. Keaton branded him as the kid everyone would root for. And that's why he got cast the way he did. It's also why he chose some of the stuff he did afterward to try to break that. But I mean, he really is just playing the same guy again in something like Doc Hollywood 10 years later. He's just older. And that's what makes him appealing. He looks like the guy next door and you would like him. No, it's weird. When you go back and watch the clips of Family Ties, was it, that he was on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's weird because he's actually not that likable. Like, he, no. let me be clear. Michael J. Fox was my first TV crush. Like, I loved Family Ties. I really <laughs> loved Alex P. Keaton. But he's kind of a 
he's not a dick because he will always ultimately do the right thing and he's also very much especially by his family and his friends but he's kind of the ultimate reagan douchebag which well he yeah he's the contrast to his (laughs) like liberal hippie family they would have a kid that was a tech capitalist 80s yuppie yeah that's that's funny (laughs) it is very funny and the fact that he was is such a likable gut presence on screen that you just absolutely bought him and just absolutely kind of fell in love with him as soon as he moves on to back to the future and yes it does help that I think my favorite thing of him is he won an Emmy and he goes, yes, I feel four feet tall now because it was always the joke that he was very tiny, which he is. Um, but the fact that he's, his height probably helped you believe that this 30 year old was playing a 16 year old. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, Same you, with you Jesse think, Bradford. <laughs> when he was yeah, 23, exactly. he was a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I, I think back now on movies like, like a, a movie like Mean Girls and I'm like, they should just switch. Like she's brilliant in it. But what if you switch the Rachel McAdams and Lindsay Lohan? And I think the movie still works. It may even work better if Rachel McAdams better. is is the lead and Lindsay Lohan's the mean girl because that's what they kind of grew up to be. And so like, Rachel really McAdams did. is nice. Yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, and, you know, but she has such a, I think she got that, but she's so fierce and like, she does have a like small presence. I, Wes Craven realized that. That's why she got the red eye part, which is a brilliant film. And by the way, massive eyes. Like she, her just reacts, especially yes. in red eyes, because she's just, Rachel McAdams has the, those massive anime eyes. So well, she her is, and Killian Murphy, like the, the two of them, it's, they got gassed because their face yes. and their eyes. And, and they knew it the movie is them looking yeah. at each other. And yeah, yeah. That, it, it's the same thing. But, but yeah, I mean, I think about that too, but to bring it back to Jesse Bradford, this is what makes him so good is he's so likable yeah. and he's not punchable and he's, he's cute. And the only thing is, and like, I, I kind of, I kind of don't love the conceit that we turn um, the French Stewart character Doppler back into a teenager and he's going to be, he's like hits on the younger sister. Oh, like, and she's yeah. like, hello. And they're like, no, because oh, he's actually a like, a, I'm like, no, no, that's, I don't like, can you fix that doc? Cause that's not okay. Like no, I didn't they, need that. I would have been suddenly, fine if he just looked normal. Are they the suddenly, end. yeah. Are they suddenly adopting Dublin now? Like what is <laughs> I kind of think so. That's what I was led to believe. Your dad's older now, and yeah. uh, we have more distinguished. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously, and of course, it's a great stinger at the end when they drive off in the in the souped up Mustang, and here come the cops, and you see the hyper time kick in. It's like, oh, we didn't give back every watch. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like a big watch. deal out of boxing all of those watches up into one box, and I was like. Mm, yeah he would have kept one behind of course yes. like you keep a little bit of the magic behind exactly and i do like that because that cop is the definite stamp he's kind of what i think the villain could have been like the kind mm-hmm. of throw your head on the ground stamp it and then just scowl in the background which is kind of a lot of what these villains kind of are We've got michael bean and you can use this intensity i mean when he kind of just has throwing these lines around of like, why go for that when the father go for the son when the father is so close? It's like, oh, oh God, no. And and just the thing of like, oh, when the kids are going up to the hotel, you think, oh, they're going to get there. The door knocks, and of course, it's Michael Bean's um, uh, goons. So yeah, no, there's just these little smart things when you know you've just got a really good director behind it. And I love the fact that Jonathan Frakes is a, such a good, <laughs> just a really solid director. He was able to go, okay, I'm on this TV show that for a lot of its run was kind of under the radar because it was Star Trek. So he could just go, Hey, why don't you let me direct an episode? And they're like, eh, why not? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. Because it wasn't what Star Trek is now back versus when it was starting up. So he could 
play around with probably a bit more and get away with like actually getting behind the scenes and just playing around and everyone letting him because there was I I don't think there was anyone watching those first few seasons of of um, Star Trek Next Gen. <laughs> Yeah, no, it took them a little while to find their groove, you know. Yeah. And then once they did, yeah, I mean, the show is still popular to this day. But I love that's the good thing about long running TV shows is it does spawn good directors out of them. Yeah. Like, there's plenty of people that have gone on to be like, okay, I'm going to direct now. I'm going to do this. You know, even John Stockwell was on, you know, our, our My Science Project star was on some TV shows and they let him direct and that, that he like had a second career as a director now and stuff. But and he did a lot of like 24 and things like that for years because. Yeah. He could do it. He he knew how to work in television. You had to work on a budget and make that stuff work. And I think, yeah, when you get directing gigs on TV, it is just a, such a stable paycheck because when you work in TV, it's always, it's a gig economy. So when mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, really solid director, even if you're not like the Neil Marshall who's going on Game of Thrones to direct the big episodes, like, okay, now we know we've got the big battle coming up because I saw who the director was. You're just getting on and you're just learning so much skill after time after time and you are learning how to work on a budget because you cannot pull Steven Spielberg in 1941 and go off the time and budget and having to deal with John Belushi. No, you are... If you misbehave on a show, they will quite happily kick you off, especially in today's climate because anyone can die on a show. So it's... Yeah, it's just it just shows us really kind of. I love watching these really solid movies. Like it's just like, oh yes, they know what they're doing. They know what their budget is. They can just go and do it. And yeah, this one has a pretty sizable uh, kind of budget. And this movie, even though it's only ninety minutes, has room to play around with it. It's yeah, it's 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 just a delight. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's yeah, just, it's just a really fun. And uh, again, it's one that I, I try to to bring to people because I think I do think it's just been forgotten in time. Yeah. but it's it definitely worth a revisit. It absolutely is. Uh, though, just a warning: you will have to deal with a lot of two thousand two. Uh, even if yes. you think <laughs> if you're a bit younger, a bit older, and like we're really kind of going for the kids what they hell are they doing in 2002 there's gonna be some music yes. <laughs> just just realize this was what the time was <laughs> it feels yeah. much closer to 2000 than it does 2002 i will say that i agree i agree which is which feel well every decade i always say like people think talk about the 80s and what they're really talking about is 1985 to like 1991 yes yes you know and so every decade takes a few years to kind of get its own you know feel and and the 90s had like four movements in it so oh, I mean, yes and this is definitely yeah. that kind of later part of the 90s movement this is very yeah. much Woodstock oh no I mean not Woodstock 99 this is what Woodstock 99 was aggravating against was this movie but it was or thought of whatever I thought that thing was doing this is very much that kind of scar everything's in a blender everyone's wearing midriff everyone's doing pink tails it's that era of of the 90s which is when I was kind of at my like 17 18 so i was i i was very happy in that time period mm-hmm. well, um, i would go back to it me yeah. too in a second um anything else we want to say about clock stoppers before we go on to deja vu which i'm very excited no no i, th- I think we've i think we've covered it but yeah definitely yeah. would say uh, to go back and check clock stoppers and it's on paramount plus so if you yes. have that worth doing Definitely worth doing. It's actually definitely worth a watch. It I super solid. Jonathan Franks, if you if makes another action movie, I'd go there opening or de- whatever. I would see it very quickly. And with that, the curtains are reopening and my favorite Tony Scott movie. I think it is. Anyway, it's probably one of much watched the most. Jay, what do you show for your first trailer for Deja Vu? 
Well, we start with another Tony Scott movie <laughs> from 2001 that presents itself as one thing, but at its core is a love story. And it's really a triangle love story. It's 2001 Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. I can train you as an agent. Central intelligence. You'd be working for me, mostly undercover. Undercover. Give me another guy in the bench. Loitering, up to no good, definite threat. Guy in the gray sweater. Gray sweater. Gray sweater? Gray sweater. Don't forget what's right in front of you. Ugh. Gray sweater, low IQ, terrible hygiene, lousy with the ladies, definite threat. You work for the CIA. What is your connection? I have no connection. I thought spies drank martinis. Scotch, never less than 12 years old. This better be the best damn breakfast I ever had. It's delicious, you love it. Of course, we have to make it to the end of the aisle. You first. Age before beauty. Risk your life for an asset. You want to mix business and pleasure? Make sure you keep it in that order. Did you mark her, or was it the other way around? Am I getting played? Oh, you're accusing me of lying to you. I still and, need to see this. This is one of the few oh, spots I haven't oh, seen. Oh, it's a brilliant movie. Yeah. It really is. And it's kind of, it's it's late Redford, um, obviously, and it's Pitt at probably the height of his powers and yeah. stuff. And the two of them together, the movie's told, Robert Redford mostly sits in a room and talks because he's being debriefed you know, through a lot of it. But he's also trying to get Brad Pitt out of some trouble because he recruited him into the CIA. Yeah. And... He's kind of racing against his retirement clock, and all, there's lots of stuff going on. But it's Tony Scott doing an office procedural while also doing a spy movie that's also a love story. And there's just something neat about that mishmash of that that is so it's so Tony Scott, but it's all of the same motifs that are here. It's this time travel movie, but at its core, it's also a love story. And you've got a lead who's just chewing the scenery up, and he's surrounded by great character actors, and it just makes it work. And it's it delves into a world that Tony's played in before, like Enemy of the State and, yeah. and some of these other things. And I kind of thought about that one, but I said, no, Spy Game is really more akin to what I think Deja Vu really is. Uh, so I, I go Spy Game is my first trailer out of the gate. Plus, Spy Game is kind of the ones that people don't talk about as much as, say, Enemy of the State, Deja Vu, mm -hmm. or some of his bigger movies. It's kind of one that gets a little bit forgotten. And yeah, I, well, like, as I said, I still need to see it. But yeah, you're right. This would have been... Brad Pitt at his peak Brad Pittness. Yeah. Um, no, that sounds like a fantastic trailer because I think he does those kind of everything about deja vu with these kind of things running together and sort of parallel as a very Tony Scott thing. And yes, I'm sort of thinking more enemy of the state because that's what I've seen. I can sort of see how the parallels and kind of how everyone's sort of especially how everyone's watching in deja vu. But no, I think that that would be a perfect trailer. Because you did Disturbia for Clockstoppers, I'm going to go for the OG, but I'm going to go Rear Window from 1950. The songwriter who plays the same melody over and over again. A genius or insane? This is the traveling salesman and his invalid wife. Out of their arguments and nagging comes a weird kind of love. Miss Torso, the body beautiful, that is, viewed from a safe distance. Those are just a few of my neighbors. First, I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them, just as you won't be able to. And you won't be able to take your eyes off the glowing beauty of Grace Kelly, who shares the heart and curiosity of James Stewart in this story of a romance shadowed by the terror of a horrifying secret. It's a great of course, one. yeah, it is the movie that started this whole 
because I keep forgetting that most of Deja Vu is Denzel just watching. Like he's just kind of, until he really springs into action, he's mostly sitting back and just watching everything. That is Rear Window. (laughs) It's a masterpiece. Yes, oh, it's it's a brilliant movie too, and I it was one I had heard referenced for years and years and years and years. And several years ago, I finally said, "I've I've got to just break down and watch this." And I did, and I thought, "Oh, I get it now. Oh, I so get it now. I see why people you know, reference this so much." And it's such a it even works today, and they've remade it several times now, and they've made different versions of it, you know, like Disturbia mm-hmm. and things like that. But there's nothing like the original, uh, and it's just got such such great performances accented by such terror. Hitchcock could just bring terror out of people with nothing but a little bit of a music sting and a camera move. And it's oh, it's just so good. Yeah, and you have all these other different plot lines happening in it because it's not just the James Stewart kind of looking out the window thinking he's seen a murder. You have Miss Lonely Hearts. You have the love story between the young woman who's kind of always dating this older man but who falls in love with the piano player. Like these, all these other running themes running through this apartment building that he's kind of watching since he's stuck in the house with a broken leg. Um, apparently trying to ignore um, Grace Kelly, which in that movie I don't understand, but that is another <laughs> <it's> another side <laughs> point. Um, but yeah, I love, the ending's really heartbreaking. Like when, spoilers for a 1954 movie, when the killer is caught and he's being arrested and he's looking at James Stewart, he goes, why did you have to get involved? It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of heartbreaking. You feel for him in that moment, which is a thing that Alfred Hitchcock could do in a second. Like you don't know this character. All you know is that he's murdered his wife, but when it's all sort of said and done, he did, gives you this moment with him and you're like, oh, poor guy. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Jimmy Stewart was putting his nose in where it didn't exactly belong, even though that guy did something horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's what makes that conceit so well. And that's, yeah. that's a great match to this movie because there's one question that they don't really answer is should we do this? Yes. You know, can we do this? Should we do this? And it, Adam Goldberg gets into a little bit of that, but not so much. And that's what that, I mean, that's one of the fun conceits of this movie is should we do it? Mm, I don't know, mm, but we're yeah. going to, we're going to. And I love yeah. the, the other conceit is how many times that has uh, Denzel or Doug actually done this. Like, yeah, yeah, that it, I just love the subtlety of that. But uh, yeah, what is going to be your second trailer for Deja Vu? Mm-hmm. My second trailer is uh, one that just came out a couple of years ago, and it's Christopher Nolan's 2020 Tenet. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do. I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? Uh, because I feel like it's a movie that 
owes a bit to this genre and even this movie too of mixing action with your time conceit time travel movie and it's one that i don't think you can get the first time through i think deja vu is one that you got to watch a couple of times not only to get the techno babble part Mm. right (laughs) but to really get what the story is yeah tenant's the same way and i i'm one of the few people on earth that didn't just hate tenant when it came out and wasn't annoyed at the sound design and all that stuff i actually thought that was fun and it's like i think nolan doing that is just his thing and i he he's like no i want you to watch this multiple times that's the point he's like we make too many movies that you watch once and you forget i want you to watch these things a lot and pick up on different things and have to lean in and listen and also dialogue's not everything watch what's in front of you and that and that's the fun part of of tenant and i i was on our friend uh, mike gallagher's amateur artillery show and we had a great discussion about tenant back and forth and I, so much so that i actually re-edited it and released it on film strip because i thought people need to hear this on both sides of the fence because I, yeah. I just love it but i love tenant and, and so i I wanted to do something that was more within the last few years. And I thought, okay, what, what has really, you know, fit in that world? And I'm like, Oh, it's tenant, obviously. So um, I, I love tenant. And also there's the John David Washington Denzel connection. I mean, there's John David's not his father. There's a couple of scenes when he does things and I'm like, Oh, Oh, there's that Denzel coming out. You know, (laughs) he sounds exactly like him when you close it. Yeah. He really, but he doesn't look like him and he doesn't exactly act like him. He doesn't do Denzel's when Denzel gets mad. He has a thing is I I call it like Denzel's hulking up because everything relates back to eighties wrestling. Yeah. And so um, John doesn't really do that. (laughs) Excuse me. John David doesn't really do that, but he does have a great intensity to him and he's great rated in that movie and i i think it's a movie that serves the viewer from watching it over and over and i'll i think like paula Patton in deja vu elizabeth debecky is the piece you don't think you're supposed to pay attention to and then you realize like oh that's the piece i should pay the most attention to yes so yeah so I, i'm gonna put tenet up as my second trailer no that that is perfect i know the first time we tried to watch tenet was on new, a new year's eve and we were so tired that i think it was doing our heads in because we we're just like i don't know what is happening the second time i think we're able to settle into it a bit more like i don't hate it as a lot of other people i'm still waiting for nolan to do a completely no dialogue movie like I, I think he wants to yeah. do it like really badly i think he got I, I think he, he wants to remake 2001 in such a bad way he does <laughs> he really does, he really does. <laughs> especially dunkirk i think is the closest he got but i think even the studio was like you have to have dialogue you cannot not have um it wouldn't be a silent movie because it's all there's definitely sound design but i think yeah he wants you to pay attention and he doesn't like every single time they go to explain the tech it's like oh you wouldn't understand it like he doesn't want you to pay attention to what the tech is, how it works. He just wants you to understand the story and he is purposely doing things to make you pay attention. Now I can understand how that would frustrate people. Um, and I got frustrated with more about how this movie was released more than the movie itself, but it is, it is a fascinating movie. And there's a few moments when he'll, cause I think Denzel's a very, um, not twitchy, but he has moves like, which is all mm-hmm. through, um, uh, through deja vu but there is a few things where i'm just like ah yeah th- there's your dad there there he is especially when he sits down in front of uh, michael kane dad that conversation that i saw a little bit of denzel in there <laughs> yeah absolutely totally yeah uh what am i gonna pick okay you know what? i'm gonna go for another um action movie but this is definitely a, a questions should we be, be doing this and that is steven spielberg's minority report from 2002 oh. Okay, Jad, what's coming? Double homicide, one male, one female. Killer's male, white, 40s. Set up a perimeter and tell them we're on route. I'm 
placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks. Give the man his hand. The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. Did we get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. Wait. You say something, Chief? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Don't run. You don't have to chase me. I love this movie. I adore this movie. This movie is... I love how Steven Spielberg always keeps Tom Cruise on the back foot. Like, there's never a moment of like, oh, I'm Tom Cruise. I am heroic. There's always a moment. There's always like, no, he's a drug addict in this one. He's lost his family. He's a complete mess of a human being. The one good thing he is good at is really morally irrehensible because of what happened to his son. And this movie is just fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a I'm a huge Philip K. Dick adaptation. Yeah. Mark. I, I I in one way or another love all of them. And that's a movie though I have a very complicated relationship with because when I first saw it, I was so familiar with the source material mm. that I was just like like I rejected it. I was just mad. I was like, no, you missed the point. And then I, I went back and revisited it because friends said, no, you really need to give that another shot. And over time, I'm like, no, I get what what Spielberg was trying to do with this. And I agree with you that I think it, it took me aback the way he reined Cruz in the way no one else ever has. Yeah. And 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 or ever will be allowed to do. Exactly. I don't think say, I don't think Spielberg will ever be allowed to do it again. No, McCrary just just turns him on and yeah. just says go do. And and which is fine because it yeah. works for those movies. And I love those Mission Impossible oh, movies. Love but, it so much. <laughs> yeah, and and Maverick was was great. But yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's like, you know, Spielberg is really trying to say something beyond what was there. And he's also trying to keep true to what Dick was saying about, you know, just because we can, should we? Mm. You know, it, but there's a cost to that. Are we willing to take that cost? And also, I think Spielberg really got off on on the sense of the mutants and the cost to them. Yes. And it's not so much in the source material. Mm. And I think it's it's the Agatha character and performance that later on I'm like, Oh, that's actually really good and really subtle and kind of strong. And so I, I appreciate it more now than I did when it first came out. Um, but yeah, that's a great one to pull because it, it asks a lot of the same questions that this movie should ask, but probably doesn't. Doesn't. <laughs> because, no, because Denzel's yeah. just suddenly caught a glimpse of Paula Patton and is just like, oh, I am all in. Mm -hmm. No, but I think it does. And I love Samantha Morton's performance in um mm -hmm in this movie because it does get that human element of, okay, should we be doing this? What are the moral, uh, moral ramifications of pre-crime, but also you're using three human beings to actually have this technology. What is it doing to them? The fact that you are not, they are not allowed to be human. And it is, yeah, it's, it, I've not read the source material for that, for that. So, um, and I think there's a whole bunch of ideas going on in that other than the fact of, is a pre is pre crime right? Is having a society with no murder versus humans kind of being allowed to run free versus which is good or which is bad? But the movies always take from the beginning takes the side of Tom Cruise may not be right in this situation. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. What, he might be very what if he's wrong. not yeah yeah what if he's not right about yeah. it that's, and that's the that's the fun part of minority report and it's also the fun part of like all those old dick stories and things like that mm-hmm. was, you don't really know is was he right was he wrong like the, the i'm one of the few people on the planet that doesn't absolutely hate the colin farrell total recall remake with kate beckinsale because i think it's a lot truer to what the, uh, the source yeah. was the, the, mm. the arnold movie's fun and i love it but that remake's a lot more on par with what that story was and and i i dig that about it so i love philip k dick's ambiguity mm. and because he didn't know and that's the funny thing is like he would ask those questions because he didn't know so that's what he wrestled with in his own you know messed up head and so he just wrote it and i i appreciate that about those and i i hooked into those um in college and it just stayed with them forever and i you know every every few years i'll go back and pull out my you know collected short stories of, of philip k dick and just flip through and read a few of them and maybe revisit some of the movies and stuff but maybe the only one i can't really defend is paycheck with ben affleck because it was just bad <laughs> Uh, but it's but it's so bad it's like fun because it's yes, really yeah. bad. Yes, no, he's bad. He's bad in it too. But yeah, yeah. The only Philip K. Dick I think I've ever read is um, Android Sheep. Um, mm-hmm. What Blade Runner was based on, which is really different. Like I was surprised yes. how different. Like it takes this one element, but that is more about the novel's more about should it, human emotions and should we allowed allow ourselves to have emotions and versus kind of suppressing them versus the multitude of themes that Blade Runner's got going on. So it's kind of amazing how filmmakers have taken this one writer and just taken a gram of an idea and just kind of done so much with it, which shows how good a writer he was. Yeah, yeah, it shows you that the grams of the ideas were good. Ridley Scott wanted to make a movie about something much different. Yes. He just took that gram and did it, and it's brilliant, and and the sequel is too. And so I'm on board for all of those things. Um, But I always say with people, if they're reading the Philip K. Dick stuff and, and have seen the movies or whatever, it's realized that mediums translate things and it's a very different experience to read philip k dick and then to watch what people make out of very. it for better or worse yeah and i don't think that's bad I, i'm one of those people that thinks you should be able to take a liberty and change things up sometimes movies adhere so close to the book that it's it, like why, why did i watch this yeah i just you know? read the book why why am i doing this that was like dr sleep until it wasn't that thing anymore i was like why am i watching yeah, this yeah, is the which, book. then i, I took I a lecture and i'm like oh, i don't know hello. that the sexual idea was any good to begin with but okay but yeah yeah, but then it got ooh, it got real weird. It got, oh. Yeah, I'm just like yeah. I remember <laughs> I sitting forward, like I was the only one horrified, not um, not horrified about the um, uh, what's his name, the kid's death, and it, I could feel the whole theater just like going, oh god. I'm like, yeah, this is what happened in the book, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yes, it's, it's yeah. not. Yeah, like this is not <laughs> new. And well, it's you know, even even that's a great example. Stanley Kubrick took The Shining and said, oh, this is a movie about alcohol or a book about alcoholism and sort of your internal ghost." Okay, well, I'm going to make it about real ghosts and somebody who's unhinged the whole time. Yes. <laughs> and then Stephen King to this day still hates it. Yes. And he's wrong. He is wrong. <laughs> because I... that, movie, that movie is one of. I mean, Stanley Kubrick made a lot of brilliant films, and that is one he obsessed over till he died because yeah. he never felt like he totally got. It and he drove poor Shelley Duvall insane on it. Yeah. And probably Jack Nicholson too. But I mean, it what we got out of it is timeless. And oh, exactly. Incredible. And but I say like the shining yeah. book though is is one of the few times I feel like Stephen King actually sticks the landing in a book. Oh, his biggest flaw is yeah. that he never I don't think he ever ends them with that and Pet Cemetery are my go-to, like the sticking of the landing for Sting for, for Stephen King happened to those. But I, I think you can read that book and get a very different experience and then watch the Kubrick film and you're like, wow. And then you can watch the the Stephen Weber uh, T Rebecca DeMornay TV movie if you just want a good laugh. Uh, because that's horrendous. 
but oh uh, yeah and look the the topiaries are never going to work on screen sorry Stephen, they're just not mm-hmm. um and i know mcgarris tried but yeah it, it just doesn't yeah. doesn't work um but yeah yeah you're right pet symmetry absolutely sticks to landing considering how much of a messy book that is and then the ending just works perfectly and you're like Ooh, that mm-hmm. was dark. Yeah, and this actually, speaking of which, Deja Vu was a movie where I was so, it took me a while to figure out if the ending actually works. And I think I'm now on the side that, yes, I think the ending does absolutely work for the for this movie. When, did you see De- uh, Deja Vu back in 2006? What do you got for me? A couple of kids found a woman face down in the waters off Algiers Point. Three days ago. Three days ago. A killer set his plan in motion. You think you know what's coming? You don't have a clue. But what if you could go back to stop the crime before it ever happened? Happened. Doug, I've been put in charge of a newly formed investigative unit. I want you on the team. Why me? We've got some unique time constraints. It's a brand new program. It's called Snow White. We can look anywhere. Four days in the past. This is the actual past. Yes. Wow. What if you could save a life? Did you know her? No, I didn't know her. That had already been taken. Hello? Why this woman? The bomber came in direct contact with the victim. You solved her case, you solved this case. Now, one man has three hours to try to change the past. He's going to kill her. He killed her four days ago. Yes, one theory. From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of Pirates of the Caribbean, and Tony Scott, director of Enemy of the State. Anyone who tries to stop it from happening will cause it to happen. Denzel Washington. For once in my life, I'd like to catch somebody before they do something horrible. Yeah, saw it in theaters. My wife and I went and saw it together. We both loved Denzel Mm. and and like Tony Scott movies. We saw the trailer to this like that looks fun and we had gone on our honeymoon in new orleans so and then right after that is when katrina had come through so we were of course you know we had family down near the coast and things so we we had seen that and we had kept up with it living in the in the south here and you know you Mm. see the, the plight and how horrendous that was and so the fact that they they like the story was out that Jerry Bruckheimer and Denzel and Tony Scott specifically picked New Orleans because they thought like w- one it the the devastation leaves a real interesting backdrop. Yes. The culture down there is such a mix of of interesting stuff that doesn't get put on film enough. So let's do that and let's flood some Hollywood money into a place that needs it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm going to get on board with that. Like I I like that. I appreciate that about filmmakers when they're socially aware enough to not just say it but actually do something with it. And then to find out later on that Tony Scott hated it. He didn't think he was doing a good job with it. The screenwriters absolutely hated what oh. he wanted to do with it. Yeah, he quit the that. movie and they rewrote it. And Denzel not only like got back on board with it, but convinced Tony to do it and made him promise he wouldn't quit again. And I think it's funny when you have a an artist like Tony Scott say like, ah, I don't think I did a really good job on that. And you go like, well, bro, if that's your B game, it's still really good <laughs> because I, I've been a obsessed and love this movie when i saw it because i was just so intrigued by the ideas it presents but also the way it presents them because it it comes off as this big action time travel movie Mm. but it's really a love story it really is and when you hear the writers say we came up with the idea of what if someone could fall in love with someone after they're dead and they fall in love with them by like looking at them through a prism of time. And I was like, what a great idea. What a, I mean, you know, it's been done in other ways, but what a brilliant like morsel of an idea, you know? And I'm like, Oh, I, I was on board with that. And then when you, I mean, anytime you put Val Kilmer in a movie, I'm pretty much going to be down for it because I just love him. And I also, I love him when he doesn't have to carry the movie. 
when he's just asked to kind of be one of the pieces of it. And he is so good in this playing the low key straight man. Mm. Cause that is so not him. No. And the, the fact that Tony Scott got that out of him was great. And then you throw in Adam Goldberg and Bruce Greenwood and you've got Jim Caviezel who, you know, had played Jesus Christ at that point, yes. you know, so they, everything you're going to do is a come down at that point. <laughs> and then you bring in Paula Patton, who I didn't know from anything, but of course I've seen her from this stuff for decades since. And she has such a great presence. And then Denzel's inner and you give the Jerry Bruckheimer, Tony Scott, you know, wicka wicka sheen on it. And I, I'm down for it. And um, I, I, I love this movie from then and have been obsessed with it ever since and have watched it several times. I, I own it on VHS, DVD and digital. I, I'm a, a triple dipper on this one. I think we are too. I don't know. I don't, I don't own the blue or we definitely own it uh, dig- digitally. And we, there was definitely a Blu-ray because this is a movie my partner introduced me to. It was this and Fallen. The Denzel and Val Kilmer are two of his oh, favorite Fallen's actors. Great, yeah. Oh. And um, Dan also loves time travel, so to have Val Kilmer, Denzel in a time travel movie, he was like, "Uh, yeah, where do where do you sign me up?" So he was like, mm. "Oh no, you need to watch this movie." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy the first two acts. I'm not sure about the third. The more I've watched it, I'm like, oh no, I absolutely love the bonkers." <laughs> and everything just goes um completely wackadoo mainly because they're in a new time period like neither there is no kind of sense of destiny there's no kind of sense of what's about to happen which i think really works for it with it whether that was by accident of tony not thinking he was doing a good enough job or what um, all the script changes and everything like that i think it does accidentally um now work um but yeah i love there's a sense that i get that actors really trust really trusted tony scott especially denzel who mm-hmm. is a presence like he's he feels like the kind of guy who walks on set and you do not tell this man what to do mm-hmm. um but him and tony had this really cool relationship where denzel was more vulnerable than he would be in say some other movies um the fact that he got a really amazing straight man performance out of denzel i mean adam adam goldberg feels just enough goldberg like he doesn't go there might be a whole bunch of edited thing of like different takes. You can tell he's improvising, but he's not going to Goldberg on it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And Paula Patton's just the most beautiful woman on the planet in this movie. Um, you oh, yeah, you she's know exactly striking. why he falls but, in love but with But she her. looks, she looks so real. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Like th- a lot of times, like Hollywood's conception of beauty is this just really distorted thing. And there's eons of books and podcasts about yeah. that. I'm not trying to say that here, but Paula Patton looks like a real person. Yeah. Like, my, like I, I would say like my wife and I've had that conversation. I, I when I was rewatching this. I said that and she said, yeah, I get what you mean. And I'll say that sometimes that it's, it's hard to find people who look like real people. Like I could see her tomorrow in the street and, I would be like, oh yeah, you you actually. She's not a real person, but you know what I mean. Yeah, like she doesn't look like some put together model. She looks like a real person that lives in New Orleans who's trying to sell her truck because she needs the cash. Yeah, like okay, yeah, she's this young twenty something figuring out life, you know, whatever. And I mean, Denzel's this this career, you know, ex military, bought into the job guy, and he finally finds the something that turns his head the other way, and it's like oh, I know people like that in my life. And Denzel's the kind of actor that can pull that off, you know, because it takes a very special skill to be the baddest guy in the room, but also I can take you dancing and we'll have a good time guy, you know, and that's Denzel's gift as, a, as an actor. Yeah, I love the moment when he sees her on the screen in, in Snow White for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, I love all that sequence where they're obviously um, – Val Kilmer and um, Adam Goldberg and everyone else, uh, Eric 
trying to explain to him, but you're not explaining to him what this technology is because they're not ready to say we can look better. They're lying to him. Yeah. Yeah. They're lying to him without lying to him. It's a really kind of cool thing. And he's like picking up on each little bullshit thing. Like he's just like, just the way, yeah, we're sort of my notes. He's he's got flexes as an actor. He'll do certain move, movements that um, just these little flexes. And he's constantly doing that when he's like, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Where, so what are the other seven dwarves going to tell me how, how me others actually works? But the moment when they go to Paula's house, they see her for the first time and she becomes like just there she is. And she's brushing her teeth. She's just dicking around the house. And then the music kicks in and then you see Denzel just staring at her. It is, it's cinema. Like, I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. It is, it, such it is it's him falling moment. in, it, it's yeah. what the screenwriters wanted. He's falling in love with her yeah. and he, and all he knows her as is a corpse Yeah. at this point, because the, I love how they introduce her and then they fold back on how that happened. Yeah. And you realize like, but it happened because he made it happen too. Yeah. And it's like, Ooh, and the, that's why I'm like, I'm so glad we talked about Philip K. Dick a little bit Yeah, because Tenet does this, but Philip K. Dick is the, the king of this mind fuck like that. I was just going like, wait, wait, I created my own timeline to do this. And how, you know, when you're a time traveler at some point, the conceit becomes, you're not just there to observe. You're actually making things happen because you have to, yes. to make it work. We talked about back to the future a little bit with clock stoppers. Like at some point, Marty and doc are active participants in the thing that causes them the greatest stress of their life, but they have to, because if they don't, they don't exist. Exactly. Right. And, and I love the conceit of this, that Doug is like, he's the perfect person to do it because he doesn't have family mm. he doesn't have anybody who's going to miss him except he's going to miss himself and he's not going to miss out on this chance even if it costs him his life you know and, and going and to miss her like the whole yeah. the reason why he keeps doing things and i love the love the line you might not survive so, uh, uh, goldberg is pretty much saying look this is, could be really bad you're not going to survive this and then there's this line that he gives to him just before he goes back goes physically goes back in time he goes i think i've already have um yeah. i think i've done this before like and yeah you it's can, like what if i already have what if i already have you know and and yeah. they just kind of look at each other denzel does this headcock thing yeah when he's either going like oh i know you're lying to me i'm gonna let you do it until yeah. i want to pull the string on you yeah. or when i'm like i've just dropped the truth on you are you ready for it yeah. yes i am you know and they both do that and i love the the way that he kind of breaks them down is she's doing something like babysitting a kid or whatever and he, um, Elle Fanning, by the way. Just I just of, noticed that on this watch. Yeah, just, I was like, Fanning, oh, she's I like the man on fire. I, I did the, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio thing. I pointed, ah, this man on fire before it happened. Yeah. But when he points the laser pointer through the time machine, basically, and she reacts to it, I was like, that is cool. That is a yeah. cool conceit. And a way for him to go, are we ready to stop lying now? Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. And I'm like, only Denzel could be cool and do that. And it make it makes all this fun. And they go through this this whole thing about like, look, we we accidentally invented a wormhole. And I'm like, that's exactly, having worked for government for years, I'm like, that's exactly <laughs> how things happen. I was like, yes, like we're trying to do something else, but we accidentally pulled a time on itself. Okay. Yeah. But we can only do it for four hours, 36 minutes and five minutes at a time. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and I'm like, okay, so you've created this magical MacGuffin 
Because if you can fold time on itself, you can solve all problems, right? Mm, we can only do it for this amount of time because this is all we know how to do. Also, do you realize how much this costs? And yes, <laughs> and you, we can only at this moment observe. Like it's uh, Denzel who keeps pushing to put the paper through. It, he right. ends up putting himself through. They're content to just watch it. Like the whole thing is they bring him in so they can figure that explosion on the boat is huge. I, I'm always, I'm like, yeah, that oh, is a yeah. freaking huge explosion. And, <laughs> and, and can we talk about like the Tony Scott, the genius of mixing practical effects with just the tiniest bit of computer. Uh. Yes. to make it work like when you blow up a, a real barge they, they would never do this today like and and they mm-hmm. don't have to and it, they can make it look just like yeah. it but i argue that there's something not only quaint but something just very real about we're gonna blow this barge up and it's and it's gonna look exactly like you think it would look and yeah. it's gonna be raw and it's gonna be weird and i mean that whole thing and you're talking about we, as a country in America, we're post 9-11 at this mm. point, but we're still in the thick of what that meant for us as a country in 2005, 2006, when oh, that yeah. was made. We're just past Katrina, this major disaster. There's so many things going on. And we're only uh, 10 years removed from the Oklahoma City bombing. They which was mentioned major, that twice or just once? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they talk about it. And because it is part of the, the conceit, it was part of the creation of that character that Mm. carol Ostad character and and i thought you know nowadays having a domestic terrorist as your antagonist in a movie almost seems a little passe it's like two on the nose because it's just uh, sadly it's such a part of our lives yeah and things now but then that was a raw nerve to hit yeah and and you have to have a a director and a set of performers to be able to deal with that delicate material in a way that doesn't seem ham-fisted. And that's one thing I'll give this movie credit for. And I think a lot of that comes down to the way Bruce Greenwood in another life was a government official. He had to be. played one so many times. He's so good at it. He's so good. He is the perfect, let me explain everything to you guy yeah. in a movie. And, and you trust then, him. You generally, yeah. when he tells you something, you trust him. Yeah. He's the trustable suit, which is funny because he played like such a ledge in that movie, Double Jeopardy with he Ashley did. Judd, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think the first thing I ever saw him in, he played Dennis Wilson in a Beach Boys like biopic when, when he was uh, uh. on TV. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he's so wild in that. That movie is so dark, by the way, because the Beach Boys story I think I vaguely remember kinda, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Beach Boys story is kind of dark, if, it is. for those that don't know, but yeah. Um, but no, he's so good at like being the suit that explains things and then leaves. Mm-hmm. And then you have everybody else there. You've got the FBI agent with the unpronounceable last name. <laughs> Played by Val Kilmer. Yes. And that's the joke, is that he just, sort of, he just marbles it out to you, and you're like... Yeah. Sure. Okay. He's Val Kilmer, but he's not being Val Kilmer. No. You know, he's being very subdued, very laid back. And it's fun. It's fun to watch because you you know, you get get Kilmer in so many different ways. Like Tombstone's this kind of subtle, at least subtle demeanor, but this huge performance, right? You know, Mm. and then Top Gun's a whole other, you know, vibe, and so is real genius. And then even like Island of Dr. Moreau. And so he's doing all these just wacky things, but every now and then you get him being kind of quiet Val and sort of contemplative Mm. Val. And this is that fun part. And it's, it's not exactly, but it matches real well with kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Have you ever seen that? Cause Robert Downey is so amazing. (laughs) Yes. And he's just very, he's just trying to be very emotional and very in his moment. And I I just love him in that. And he's doing kind of math. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, I love him when he's doing these things because he just has all these little smart quips and he's just there to drive really Denzel to 
Adam Goldberg and Snow White and all mm. of that stuff. And then and then you've got the people that are running the Snow White machine and they're just I mean, I, I go back to my days of learning television studio production and they're just playing on old like news production, you know, gear and, mm. and faders and all this stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the reverb button, you know, or whatever. Like, it's just none of it does any what it's supposed to do. But it looks cool on screen and I, I got a kick out of all of that. No, I love Val Kilmer in this. I mean, he's still very quippy. I mean, there's the line when they're arguing whether they should give him Sintra and send a message to Denzel four days in the past on a bit of paper. And they're sort of saying, yeah, we, you know, last time we did this, we call, and he, they don't want to say anything. Like, Denzel just keeps poking at them. Okay, what if we did this? Is she dead? You know, he crashes the thing and he goes, and then he goes, um, look, if you do this, then you can get rid of me sooner. And then Val Kilmer goes, that's worth a billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, picks up the phone, makes the call, and yeah, yeah. it's like I I created this mess. I will let you out of it. Yeah, but I love I love Denzel too in, in this movie, and so he is just the take charge guy. Yes, because he pushes him to send the thing back, and then he's like, "Well, you know, this is the only guy that can operate the car with the goggles, so he's a little busy right now." He's like, "All right, just walk me through it," and I'm like. <laughs> Yes. yes, Denzel will put on the magic hat and drive the Hummer through New Orleans and cause so much days carnage. Into the past, I mean, which is which is amazing to think about. He's like he's chasing someone who's not there. Such an amazing scene. I love that scene yeah. so much. And you got to give Jim Caviezel some credit too, because he gets he gets so little time in this movie to really say or do anything. Mm. But his face, just that, just like when he realizes somebody's watching me who's actually not here, but I can feel it. Mm. You know, it's, oh, it's so eerie. I'm like, Jim, Jim Caviezel, I know he played Jesus Christ. He could play any serial killer ever, and he'd be just as convincing. He's really, really good at that. He, he is very, very good. Like, he can do the dead eye really quickly when he's doing the interrogation scene, and Denzel's just poking him. Like, he's trying to be his friend, but you can tell mm -hmm. that he wants to murder this guy. Like, he killed his partner, and he killed the woman that he's in love with, like, he's that he's trying to save. Like, he's, this is, a he had, there is not one person he hates more than this person right there. And then he's trying to be stoic, you know, um, um, whatever that patriot bullshit is and all that kind of thing. And then when he leaves, that's when you see the tear come down. He's like, oh, I'm screwed. Like, yeah, he knows. The, he knows that he's yeah. screwed. That's that one human moment that he allows himself. And I think it's really, really smart. Yeah, he plays it very much like what we know now the way Timothy McVeigh talked when he yeah. was in prison. Yeah. He, I mean, he gave these interviews and, and all this stuff and makes no sense know, really, by the way, what he's saying makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> no, no. It, but it, it's the, it's the delusions of yes. someone who's just gotten in their own little mind trap, but it's exactly the same kind of stuff. Mm. And, and I'm like, you know, I mean, you're completely wrong, but I can see how you drug yourself into that wormhole that you couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Because there there was no resource for you. There wasn't any help. And it says a lot. There's a lot of you know discussion about that for another day on Donahue. But mm. I, I love the the way he plays this guy as I know what I'm doing is wrong and I don't care because it matters. Yes. You know, it matters and to Denzel me. is like that's the and, thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love how Denzel is like. You know what's the best thing about unraveling the bomb that you're going to set off is I can also save this woman too, and it'll screw up your whole life. Mm. <laughs> and it, you'll just die. <clears throat> you'll just die some random guy with a gun on a boat. Yeah. You know, and and it's so great how that all plays out. And um, I think the, the thing Denzel is able to do in so many of these roles, and particularly this one, is even though he's behind on the technology, he's still the smartest person in the room. Yes. But he doesn't play it like he's the smartest person in the room. No. He he, he never plays his cards. He's just a great poker Until player, he has right? to. <laughs> yeah, until he absolutely has to. And the way he goes about convincing Paula Patton of all of this stuff, 
is so, I mean, it's it's not that dissimilar than what Jesse Bradford had to do with Paula Garces. No, right? but it's kind of, Paula doesn't completely buy his crap until way later. Like she's going along with it, but he sort of says, oh yeah, I'll take your boyfriend's jacket. I'll go, don't wear, don't wear that dress, wear the blue dress. And then you can just see her mind going, hang on, something's Yeah, she pulls the gun on him and yeah. that's when he's like, call my office, ask who I am. And then you realize like, that's the he just created another loop. He's yeah. creating what will get him to there. Cause he is now an active participant mm. in his own time travel adventure. Yeah. And that is so neat because not only do I have to try to change what happens, but I have to set up enough stuff that did happen so that I can get here. Cause if I don't, I'll never get here. And it, Oh, it makes your head hurt if you think about it too much, but it's kind of the fun part of this movie is you you can set all of that to the side and just watch it as an action thriller. Yes. And have a great time with it. Or you can allow all of that stuff to come into the table and all that stuff to start calculating in your brain. And you're like, it makes this movie so much fun to rewatch. And I mean, that's why I, that's why I put Tenet on as my second trailer, because that movie to me is infinitely rewatchable because you'll never get all of it. And it and that's what's so cool about it is you you don't necessarily have to to enjoy it, but you'll never get all of it. And you will never get all of this one either, but you're so rewarded to revisit it every time and realize, oh, he's got to do this because otherwise he never gets there and has this conversation with her. And it all pays off at the end when she repeats the line that he laid on her first. It's like, what if you had the most important thing to say to somebody and you had to do it even though they would never believe you? Exactly. You know, I would at least try. And I'm like, I love how she drops that on the the Doug in the present yes. there at the end. And and he kind of laughs and goes, he has that moment where he's like, oh, I'm having a little deja, deja vu. Nah. And then I'm like, yes, it's only Denzel can. It's like, oh, that's fun. And it's she just so, and no, I love, so good. yeah, going back to what you were sort of saying about um, how this is set in New Orleans straight after Katrina, still kind of getting over 9-11 and even um, uh, Oklahoma. The fact that that explosion took place right next to the wharf on the river that's near French Quarter. Like the one time yeah. I've been to New Orleans, I stay pretty much down at the French Quarter because I'm like, why would I leave? Um, yeah, of <laughs> course, is, that's where you go when you go to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. the place is a wonderland. <laughs> um, and so I sort of recommend, oh yeah, I've been there. And But to have it so close with the bridge and everything like that, it's kind of hits home of, yes, this place has gone through something. So when they're doing the pro press conferences, it again felt close to home of, this is a city in pain, which New Orleans absolutely was because when they're going to arrest Kazil and you're going through this this decimated area of houses that have just been completely wiped out. And it is, it gives that interesting backdrop, but at the same time, it sort of shows, yeah, this is a city that, again, that they purposely, because I think they already knew they were going to film there, but then Katrina happened and they said, no, we're actually still going to, and when a lot of film crews went, no, we're not, we can't film there. And they were like, no, we're going to film there. We're going to put some Hollywood money back into the, um, back into the city because this is a place that needs, needs it. It's hurting. It's, um, and I love that little dedication at the end when it says, you know, thank you to the people of New Orleans. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. Cause I mean, again, it's such a, it's such a great city to be filmed in. Yes. And it has such a neat, so good looking. So good yeah, looking. Yeah. Cause it's, it's such a, it's such a melting pot of culture mm. uh, and particularly the culture of how it was founded and the people that still live there. And then everyone that moved there and moved out and all the stuff that's going on. And I mean, just the, 
I mean, New Orleans is known for its food and its music and it's all these things. Right. And when you go there, it's kind of like this movie. It is this fast forward, just explosive don't blast stop. Of, yeah. of culture in your face. Yeah. And to capture that is is something that a lot of film and television has tried to do through the years. And some of them do it better than others, but I, I feel like Tony Scott got something about new Orleans and particularly about that time in new Orleans life that other people just didn't understand. I, I remember I found something that Val Kilmer said, he said, the thing that everybody loves about Tony is that he'll, he'll just do everything that he wants somebody to do. He'll hang upside down with the camera to show the guy how mm. he wants to get the shot. And he's, he was just such a part of everything. Cause he was just this big kid, yeah. you know, on the set. Unlike, you know, like his brother Ridley is very like cerebral and, you know, and, and sort of setting it up and talking through it and all that. Yeah. Tony's just in, in the dirt. Yeah. with you because that's just how he rolled and i love that about him i love that about his movies and particularly this movie because th there's one thing about new orleans that is universally true it is sweaty almost all the time oh my it god it's hot it's so, so sweaty one so, minute yeah, yeah i remember that my uh, when we first got there and we went into like around the bourbon street area and we're just like right let's get a bar let's get a drink let's get some food i've heard the food is, is truly amazing and then it just started pissing down rain like yes like just out of nowhere so we're just like oh well we're in a bar we'll just stay here for a little while and and thing but it is this even though deja vu isn't about new orleans specifically it captures its feel like there's a feel mm -hmm. to it that i think it just captures absolutely perfectly the fact that there is a momentum the fact that this, this melting pot the way the character the kind of houses the characters live in um it's very it, it's very new orleans <laughs> Yes, it is. It's, it's got it's got this sort of hot moisture to it. Yes. Like there's this this heat wave kind of always running under the under things, and it's not only physical; it's also kind of metaphysical too. It's just the way people roll, yeah. and operate, and how they do things. And you can see that Doug, as a character, is someone who can operate in that that pressure cooker. Yeah, it is like a pressure cooker, and it Big doesn't bother him. Big floaty shirts, and yeah, he's he's fine. yeah. It, and those people are so fun to watch as characters in movies because it's neat to watch them when they unravel a little bit about how they tick and why they're that way and without pulling too many strings from it. And and uh, Val Kilmer is the one that gives most of that backstory when he talks about him. But you hear – you get to see that argument he has with um, his his old partner, yes. um, Minuti there, which I, I love Matt Craven. He's, he's always playing either like somebody's – you know, angry brother or some asshole yeah. he had to deal with, and he's so good at it. And he's, he's, he really is. <laughs> he really is, and and he can just argue. and t And he was great in Crimson Tide. I think he did on each other, Tony, from that and all that. And he's so good. And when you get him and Denzel just going at each other like that, it's so it's it's like a two minute scene, and they're watching it, so it's not even like the forefront of the scene. But it's so neat. It's such the energy of both of them. And you see Denzel like stamp his way out of the office and he's mad and he's telling him like i'm about to leave the office mm -hmm. i'm about to stamp my way out of the office and he realizes i just sent that note back and that's why my partner's car was over here because he was a murder victim because i got him killed i love which, how which, he finds out yeah. that he he died is that i was like oh minuti's here what no his car's there and then the everyone bruce the way bruce greenwood's face just goes oh that's where the victim's cars are. And just the way Denzel just takes the time, just a minute to process what that means. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, it, and this need as an audience, because at first you think like, oh gosh, he was on the ferry. 
Yeah. And then you realize like, no, he wasn't on the ferry. <laughs> he was investigating the ferry about to get set up to be bombed because Denzel totally yeah. blew inadvertently. Yikes. Yeah. It's, it's, there's so many things. I mean, I love Denzel's introduction. Like the, I love the fact that he doesn't talk for like 10 minutes. You're just watching mm-hmm. Denzel. Um, but I think it was just perfect because the fact that Denzel's just going to be watching for uh, two thirds of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it is this sort of gorgeous moment when he walks in and he does this kind of hand over the nose thing, like a like a kind of church kind of thing. It's not like a prayer. It's not like disguising the smell of what has just happened with the explosives, body parts, all that kind of thing. It's more just he's getting himself ready. Mm-hmm. to go he's in psyching and himself up. he's psyching yeah. himself up and that's what i sort of when i was mean denzel has these little flexes that he does and that's kind of like mm-hmm. that's like in crimson um tide i always call crimson, it crimson yeah. peak which is a very different movie crimson tide <laughs> when he is asked what the time is and he, instead of just looking at his wrist he puts his wrist up above his head and it's like these little flexes that he does that shows who's boss like yeah denzel is the boss because he does these little weird movements and when he walks in with his hand over his over his nose, hands over his nose. It's that flex move of like, okay, this guy's got something going on. He's getting himself ready, and now he's hanging off a bridge. Um, probably because Tony did it first, and he's like, God damn it! Um, he's hanging off a bridge, like looking at the residue, and he's the one who comes in and says, Oh no, no, no! This was an act of terror. This was an absolute explosion. Um, because I oh found yeah, this, I love that this. there's the, the, all those cops like trying to figure out who's in charge. Yes, what do we do? We don't know what this is yet. He's like, well, it is a crime scene. Yeah. Let me lay it all out for you right now. Exposition, and it's like, okay, but he's so confident in it, and the way he lays it out with like, here's this piece of fact. This is how you know what I'm saying is true, and everybody's like, yep, got it, and they just move on. And I, I that it's such an efficient thing to do in a two hour movie. Yeah. Like you got a lot of ground to cover in this and it, it just covers it. It's just like, mm, not a problem. And they just blow right through. And that's when we start getting in all the other characters. But I, I specifically like watching his reaction to things that he realized once he realizes that not only is he watching a time travel happen in front of him, yeah. but he's now actively affecting it. Yes. The minuti part, he's actively affecting it. It was when he's driving around and he tells everybody like, you might want to brace yourself. You're about to see a see murder. A God, and then he before he burns him, he shoots him. He's like, "That's why his car's there because mm. we sent him here on a goose chase, and he got drugged back here. But now I know where this guy is, so I know what to do." And it's it, it brings up an interesting conceit, and you brought it up early on. And I wanted to ask you your theory: How many times has Denzel had to go back and do something? You think to finally get to where he is? Uh, at least two or three times because when he goes to Paula Patton's apartment for the first time and there's the you can save her on the fridge and the fact that there's the bloody um bloody things on the in in the bathroom wastebasket and the fact that he goes I thought who I thought you knew how to work a crime scene your fingerprints all are, are all over the scene he's like huh interesting because uh, I wore gloves and so I think he's he's had to do it a couple of times and each time he's learned about it each time he's gotten pull a pattern to a different kind of place within thing, but he's every single time she still dies. It's like, um, he can't, the whole thing is he needs to save her. So he's going through this loop a couple of times to actually save her. And we are watching the final time when she is actually alive by the end of the movie, because each time she probably dies in different ways, whether it's at the house with, um, Kazil, maybe it's on the boat, maybe it's different things. Yeah. There's, there's points where she dies and he's going to go back and save her again. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I looked it up because I got curious. And there's a good internet sleuthing theory that mm. like there's there's four timelines going on. Yeah, and uh, I started to read it and it was it got my head hurting. I was like, okay, I'm not, yeah, not going to do I, this. I, that would make my uh, guys go uh, head hurt, eyes go cross if I did that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm like, yeah. but I but I'm with you. I'm like, he's had to do at least two or three of these to mm. get it right to make it work. And it's almost it's kind of the fun part of uh, the Bill Murray Groundhog Day movie, right? Which is sort of the the time warp time loop movie that a lot I know I reference. Oh, he's been there for decades. He's been in that time yeah. for decades. Yeah, but he talks about like he how long he actually was there, and like uh, Harold Ramis years later came out and said like, oh yeah, we intended him to like have been there for like ten years, mm. you know, to figure all of that out. And it's like, holy smokes. And so you think about like, how long would it take you to figure out all the stuff you needed to, to make life happen the way you wanted to. Mm. And, and for Denzel, it's like, well, I've really only got to do two things. I've got to, I've just got to save her and I got to kill him mm. because that will fix everything else. Cause he even says it to them. He's like, if you solve her murder, if you save her, then the boat never happens. Yeah. And he's not wrong. He's right. And I, I love that it comes down to this, big moment of self-sacrifice because we've seen Doug willing to sacrifice other people mm-hmm. and willing to sacrifice all kinds of, you know, continuity and all kinds of things to get to what he wants. But when he's finally faced with the, I have to sacrifice myself to the potentially to make this work, he's willing to do it. And yes. he gets Paula Patton out of that car at the end and he dies in the explosion underneath it while the bear gets away. It's like, Holy smokes, like what, what a price to pay, but it's almost, but, it, and it's not a cheat either because I'm wondering in the back of my mind when he kind of pulls back from the glass at the end, cause he knows he can't mm. get out. He's like, wait a minute. I'm about to walk up on the bridge anyway. Yeah. Because there's going to be an explosion. I'm still here. I'm just not this one. And- so we'll see. And plus also, I think it's him realizing he has to end the loop at some stage Yeah, because yeah, exactly. he can't. So he's probably survived all of these. And because of that, Paul, yeah, he Paul can't meet himself. Yeah. 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 He and can't meet himself. He can't meet himself. And so if he realizes that there's going to be another um, Doug coming up to the, to the pier, I think he realizes I need to end this loop. I saved her. I did my job. Um, yeah, because I now, if I survive, Claire has to die. Yes. One of them has to die for yeah. it to move forward yeah. in the loop. You're you're dead on, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's kind of what he does and thinks of this realization, but the smart thing about the movie is it doesn't – I mean, this movie has a lot of exposition. I mean, there are points – I mean, um, Adam Goldberg is kind of your main expo- exposition guy, though I do love the point where um, the guy from <laughs> goes, oh, yeah, we um, – when we said the paper back there, remember that blackout that took out half the country? And you just get my bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, lo- I love that guy, Elder Henson. Elder yes. Henson. He's been in so much stuff, and he's so he's so fun. He's, he's always so fun and things. And I, I remember. I mean, he he made a a good turn in those uh, those Hunger Games movies, and he's been in like several of the Marvel films, yes. and TV shows, and stuff. But I I love him. I th- I think he's funny, and he's uh, uh, Tony Scott does this with with his movies. He got in this era. It's intimately the stage is littered with this like this young hollywood or like all the spy kids in the movie like oh Seth my Green god and all these people in the state went overboard yeah, yeah 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 and you just watch that and you're like oh this is so fun to see these people like jamie kennedy is a is a cia agent sure you know i mean but you 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 know them for what they are now at the time they were nothing and it's kind of funny to see like he gives those characters always a good line a good quip yeah. a good funny even in even in something like top gun tom scarrett gets all of that oh yeah you know, it's like yeah 
if you tell anybody this, I'll kill us both, you know, or whatever. Like it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's what's fun. It's like, this could probably get us both burned out of the Navy, but okay, here we go. You know, like I, I love that, that presence that there's always somebody that can do that. Well, in Crimson Tide, it's the poor little sonar guy that's trying to like, you know, fix the radio that, that Denzel's constantly talking to. Yes. Like, you've got to fix this radio. You got, I need you to be my silver surfer and all that, you know, this crap. And, and I'm like, I love that though. That's so fun to give a guy like that, you know, a character that could be just a guy in the background turning knobs to give him actual like lines like that is fun. And, and that's the thing is, and I think Adam Goldberg has, has a lot of the best exposition. Like you he said, does. cause he's the last thing he says to him is like, well, if this goes right, we'll never meet. Mm. And it's like, Ooh, that's kind of weird and funny, but he's right. If it goes right, they, and it does, they never, they, they yeah. never show up. They, they never, never, yeah. Val Kilmer yeah. never has to go over there to see, to try and get a DA agent to see if they can like view the, the Snow White. But yeah, an enemy of the state goes way overboard with what you were just sort of saying, because I mm-hmm. did not think that you were allowed to have Jason Lee and Jack Black in the same room together. Um, <laughs> same with Scotty Khan, Jack Busey and Barry Pepper. I thought the world would explode. <laughs> And they're yeah, all exactly. together. It's just like they got like because you, usually those are a type, and you'll usually pick one or the other. It's, uh, Tony Scott just looked at the um, casting thing and just went, "Well, we'll just put them all in a movie." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he he liked all of them and yeah. stuck them all in there together. Kind of the way he did with Top Gun, like all those guys. Yeah. Like, I like the way they look. Cut their hair this way. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, and and it totally works in the in this. And that's what's so neat about the way this resolves. And again. Claire's journey and Paula Patton's journey in this movie because she she doesn't believe any of this bullshit. She's, She's so not, but yeah. she believes what is proven to her. And then at the end, she realizes here he comes walking up and like, oh my god, everything he said was absolutely true. Yeah, he doesn't know who I am. Yeah, because I still think it's sort yeah. of weird because she asked him like three times. Okay, we can just go to the cops. We can just say there's a. It, we can just say there's a tip. They will have to follow it through. If you say there's a bomb in the boat, they have to mm-hmm. do something about it. Um, and he goes, no, 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 and, we have to do it this way. And it's like, well, he and he, she's right. Yeah, but she will still die. Yeah, he knows that. Yeah, and he's like, I can't tell you that because you that that's too much. You won't believe that. It has to be this way. Yeah, and he'll get away because yeah. they'll just pull the boat, the car off the boat or whatever. They they won't ever catch him, and he'll do it again. Yeah, and that that's, and you, like, he will still kill you yeah yeah and he will still kill you because he knows you because you saw him yeah you know that's why he killed you to begin with and because he had to and i mean i love how he's unraveling that it's very like criminal minds by the way too when he's doing that whole like oh he didn't want to kill her he had to because she created a time problem yeah. for him so you know otherwise he was just gonna buy the car and walk, which denzel know? created in the first place because the reason why he needed a new van was because his partner shot his shot car. It's, i know it's like oh you're actually like that's, just that's made the things worse. that's the movie where he just made everything worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's when he realizes like not, and I think that's that's a great point, Lindsay, because it's when he knows like I have to save her not only because I want to because I'm in love with her and, I, and it's the right thing to do, but I actually caused her death yeah. and I can't undo Manuti's death. Yeah, but I can undo hers. Mm. But I think he and has. I think he to wants to do. I think he un, un wants to do. He he wants to save Claire more than he does Manuti. He's upset about Manuti, but he's fine with that. Um yeah. but it is. Yeah, he's he's got it's kind of that amazing Dracula line, like I have crossed seas of time to be with you. That that's what he's doing yeah. with, with Claire. He is literally just keeps going back in time to save this woman. And every single time he sees her on Snow White, um, like you can kind of tell he's looking at her just 
very um matter of factly but there's a tenderness like they keep saying she's a beautiful corpse and i'm like guys she's she's dead she's had her fingers blown off i mean calm down mm-hmm. but well, I mean, he's so clinical with her when he sees yeah. her and like he's he's like oh she had glue on her face like he's yeah he's just she's an object there yeah then when he sees her living it turns on a different switch for him and it's she not looks just... directly into snow white and directly at denzel it's like just perfect yeah it's it's yeah. deja vu it yeah. is this sense of like i have met her mm-hmm. oh i met her because I set all this in motion. At some point I got into this loop and this is what happens. Well, I've got to now close it. And I love that it closes with her understanding the, that, okay, now I have to tell him mm. this, but how do I, or oh, maybe do I don't you? have to, yeah. And maybe she's like, you know, maybe I don't have to, maybe I can just go to dinner with it and we'll and have see it, what yeah. happens. Yeah. And we'll just talk about the crazy thing that I survived and that'll be it. I don't mm. know. I mean, you, you wonder what happens and we don't need to know. It isn't that great. There's, you know, this movie didn't have a lot of needle drops. So that beach boy song is about the most perfect one in it. I mean, and that's a great move. Don't worry. Baby is used so well. I mean, Tony Scott yes. was really good at using music. I mean, you go back to the hunger and the freaking Baja <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that sort of goth rock kind of um, thing happening in that movie. But yeah, don't worry. Baby is so used perfectly in that i mean it is just and the way in the beginning where it sort of goes from that song to the to the sailors um uh playing the trumpets and um i can um get in the song in my head but i can't think what it's called the the marching song and then it goes back to don't worry baby it's just like this perfect frenetic um you see all these kind of specific moments that are going to become really important but you don't know why like al fanning dropping the doll um all the sailors and everything all of a sudden and then it's the boom you don't see kazil you just that's all you get and then it sort of goes into it but i love that opening scene so much it's kind of tony's frenetic editing but it works for the fact that you are now going to be watching all these moments again and again and again yeah, and, and that's what makes it fun is, again, to to go back and realize that you just watch someone do all this stuff, and now you, you watch it a second time, and you're like, oh, they're intentionally having to do it. Yeah. And, and But it's also a time travel movie that, unlike a lot of them, well, Clockstoppers, we just talked about, mm. he's still got the gadget. Yeah. You know, so it. So adventures can continue the end of the back to the future series. They've still got a freaking time machine on a train. You know, it can still go on. This one is like, no, we're actually going to close the loop. Mm. It's like groundhog day is like the day turns yes, and the loop ends and we move on. And, um, or another, this is a kind of a time travel one from the early eighties, the final countdown. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Not yet. I keep meaning to, that's the, it's, World a, War good, II it's one? a good one. It's yeah. I mean, built on a cool premise of like, what if I had a modern aircraft character travel back to right before Pearl Harbor? <laughs> What, what would happen yes. <laughs> and, and, it, and it and right as they're about to answer that question it's like and now you're back yes you know <laughs> and, so it's like, there's this loop that just does these things and there's nothing you can do it so un, unlike sam beckett in in quantum leap where he you know solves a mystery and then moves on to the next mm-hmm. thing no the loop just comes and goes it, it's independent of you but you can actively get yourself out of it yes but that's still happening and i'm like oh it's so it's again it's, it's such a neat mind twist to sort of think about and it's what what makes this movie so fun is like I can just watch it and just have a fun action movie with a good love story in the center of it, or I can watch it and have this real trippy like time travel experience too, and that's what makes it so great. 
it really is there's just different if you just want the love story you've got the love story if you want the action mm-hmm. it's definitely got the action i mean that car chase when denzel's looking one eye into four days ago and one eye on the road is so goddamn good i still can't believe tony scott thinks he did a bad job on this movie um and then when he's sort of watching yeah brace yourself you're gonna watch a murder and then that final kind of thing when everything starts falling apart for Kazil. like nothing is going according mm-hmm. to plan um because um he's realizing oh denzel's on the boat okay my plan isn't yeah it's it's so well done you could just watch it on these kind of different kind of ways and if you want to pay attention to the apparently the four timelines um then you can because they are definitely there even if tony isn't paying is showing you that much attention to them they are definitely happening in in the in the background so yeah yeah, yeah, it's, it's again, it's what makes this so so fun and so rewatchable, and it's why it's so. I don't know. It's it's, it's one of my favorite Tony Scotts, um, and it's one of my favorite Denzel movies too. It's, yeah, it's me too. Just so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, Deja Vu, good movie. <laughs> yes, yes, D- recommend strong. Or, or is, I say in my world, you know, large popcorn for nice. sure. Yeah, definitely know, so. a large popcorn. Um, yeah. anything else you want to point out uh, before we finish with Deja Vu? Oh, no, no. I think I think I'm there. Yeah. No, it is it's such a good movie. And thank you so much for coming on with this double. It oh. is so much fun. <laughs> Lindsay, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you for inviting me on. And we'll definitely have to do this and definitely have to have you on Filmstrip as well to to chop up and do things the way we do over there. But I, I love I love this show and I, I'm so uh so honored to now be a part of your incredible lexicon and to to have been able to do this. We'll definitely have to do it again. We will definitely have to do it again. I can't wait to do it because this has been uh, so much fun. And thank you for introducing me into uh clock stoppers because delightful um before we go please tell people where they can find your good work absolutely um you can find all of it at filmstrippodcast.com or just search for filmstrip podcast mm-hmm. wherever you get your podcasts uh, that website will take you straight to our anchor distribution site but we're on apple google spotify all the mm-hmm. places and uh, you can follow us on social media at filmstrip pod we're on instagram and twitter and facebook and i think we're on mastodon and uh, letterbox all kinds of places ron really runs most of that for us mm-hmm. thank goodness um and uh, if you follow us on, on uh, twitter it's usually him tweeting and he has lots of good engagement and fun stuff but yeah, like I said, we've been doing it for 13 years and uh, we're just going to keep doing them because we have a lot of fun with it. And so give us a listen. And uh, again, Lindsay, thanks so much for for giving me an audience here to talk about it and uh, to talk about these two cool movies with you. No, uh, Filmstrip is an institution. I love it. I love listening to it. It's You always have a great collection of guests, whether it's the regular with Ron, Lindsay or Brian, and then whoever else you get on. It's it's always, always amazing. Um, yeah, thank you for again for another, well, Schluck and All, if you want to keep following us, we're on all the apps. Um, Schluck and All 1 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, Reading Geek, if you want to just follow me on Twitter. And yeah, this has been a true blast. Thank you so much for coming on. It's it's an honor, actually. Um, no, and uh, thank you. And we will be back with another double feature. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.